I got no pre-rolls to read, but I have just so much to talk about, Toby. What a wild day. I got to tell you, maybe three things are going on with me today that are overlapping to create what I feel is one of the best days of my life. Oh, my God. One of the best days of your whole life. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm just just really enjoying today. I mean, you know, I'll tell you what they are. The first one is... Just the, the week's end special. It sounds great. I already know it's great. Right. Um, I know people is going to be well-received. So we have a rock concert tonight where I'm going to enjoy it from home in the best possible way, and I'm already right. super confident of how well it will be received, and it's, that feeling is huge. So I'm beaming about that because I've approved the final. It feels great. It's great. So yeah. that's – and there's – you, I could talk endlessly and want about that one, but to hey. encap 17 years to the day the week's end came out, today. Do you remember uh, that day? Yeah. I, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I remember it really clearly, but um, I, I, don't even, I won't even go through that. That's not the time for that. That's not what I really <laughs> want to talk about today. Um, and But that is super exciting, so I hope everybody will do that. The other is... Francis Sopper on the podcast today. Yep. That's one of the this the, is probably the greatest treat um, for me because I, it wasn't even on my radar. He's somebody that I intensely look up to and am curious about, and didn't even think we should try to have him on the. Po- I, I feel like I haven't even begun to really understand enough, and then here you go, pop, and just get him on the podcast. All of a sudden, I'm like, holy crap! Yeah. I get to talk to Francis Sopper. So this will be a, this one's exciting to me in that way. Same way. Who is Robin. he? Well, okay, so Francis Sopper is a guy who um, I found through a, through a secondary way from this book. I can't even explain <laughs> it, but he does cognition work, and he yeah. is, a, is an older person who's been thinking about the types of things that I like to think about for his whole life. Right. And so it, I, I just I feel that he has much knowledge that I'm interested in. I ran across him recently because he made a – like a cognitive test that you take that helps you assess things. So I think he's very, very powerful in the uh, non-labeling of respecting many types of brains. Right. I'll say it this way. For a very long time, we've kind of shit on the Enneagram. I felt like it's a fad. Something about it kind of bothers me. And this survey that he created helped me to understand my brain a little bit more in a a real way. For me. Yeah, but the survey isn't it, it's just a, a tool that he has created to do right, the work that right. he does. So he's not right. it's not like anyway, but so no, but yeah, yes. Yeah. So but we'll the talk work about the survey. Um and just who he is as a person is is really exciting. So that that's big. Right. Um and the I just had a, a fun thing happen to me at on the way back from dropping off Jerry at preschool where I almost had a car wreck. Oh god. And, you know, that's that can be really exciting. Yeah. Know? Um so I was there was a all of a sudden, I'm sitting on the side of the road, like in the median, all of a sudden, and realize, what just happened? Like, uh, you know, um, yeah. there's some weird, I have weird brain processing, but whatever it was, I reacted unbelievably perfectly and calmly, and I never even, my mind never turned on. Like, my other part of my body that I don't communicate that well with uh, just handled the situation. 
Like I was wow. just thinking, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting like on the side of the road in a median, and the cars around me are like looking at me and thumbs up to me, like for the maneuver I had made. Like it was a, <laughs> it was a scary situation where I slammed on the brakes and kind of went to the median, but there's oncoming traffic, and right. there was a car that had. It took me until after to process it from my mind, but a car pulled out trying to go around a bus, but into my lane. But then yeah. there's oncoming traffic in the next lane over. So all I could just hit the brakes and kind of go to the middle, whatever it was. The people around me thought my maneuver what must have been good and were like thumbs up and smiled. Then by the time I look and that car's going around, it's a student driver, you know. And oh. I'm sitting there in the car, and this is the part that I like the most that unlocked a little bit of self-understanding for me is I was in and I was smiling. I thumbs up the people back, grin on. I mean, there's never, not even for a millisecond, did I feel nervous or angry or right. any emotions at all. It was, and I promise you, and I had, you know, I had Cosmo in the back seat. My heart rate changed zero. I guarantee, I wasn't wearing my watch, but I guarantee you it stayed right at 55 beats per minute. Nothing, it just, and I just thought that was so great. And then I feel so good because I, Nothing makes me happier, I guess, than being calm in chaos. I just love that feeling. I love yeah. my body to be keyed up. It's like I'm excited today. Things are up. My body is intense. There's chaos. And I am I just like being calm in that for whatever reason. It's like uh, for whatever reason, it seems that my bo- I like the feeling of my body being keyed up. I think other people don't. They call that anxiety. But it doesn't make me feel anxious. Right. I don't feel. I think for most people, that makes their minds then become un- discomfortable. But I can have my body be all tense about stuff for real, and then I can just sit here on top of it with the other half of my brain and enjoy the energy and motivation that I have. So that's the yeah. way I feel today. And none of that is what's really exciting today. Everything that's exciting today is happening in the stock market. I know it's insane. <laughs> so it that's is all insane. I really want to talk about. And I'm try- sorry to talk over, but Toby, you're you're the you're the oracle. I beseech thee, O oracle, <laughs> to tell well, me about your ways. This is a, this is such an exciting day, and I don't have. I'm not going to play the audio back, but on the bonus episode, yeah. not a week ago, you're talking up AMC stock, and we have an argument about how it can't double. It, it, it would take probably two or three, four, five years to double, and it goes up 10x right. in the week. And Devin bought it, and the, the, the whole thing that's happening in the market just really deserves some discussion before Francis gets on. So this will be a long episode. I hope y'all enjoy it, but it's a good one for me. Yeah, I just uh I don't know what made me think of it. I was just like, you know what? I did I didn't wasn't following anything or following gurus or anything. I just I just like, you know what, AMC, it you know, we got a new president and they're gonna start opening stuff back up more, vaccines. So I said, I bet it could at least go up. So let me take a look at it. I was like, Oh, it's only like two dollars and twenty cents. I said that probably would be a good one. I looked at the all time high was you know, fifteen bucks, maybe maybe it's thirty bucks or something. I don't remember. Um, and it had been $7 for a long time and it was down all the way down to two. And I was like, huh. And, and you made fun of me on the bonus episode. If you're not in the yeah. BC club, join it. Cause you hear a lot more content, but, uh, and I, I was talking what to Devin did, about what it. Did you understand my position to be in your position at that time that I was saying it was the position is always Toby's playing the lottery yes. and Matt hates the lottery. That's well, what it always different is. Different than investing, but yes, but I mean, right, right. It, you know, it, I found it laughable. But you were saying your argument, I thought was relatively simple. It was, well, it's this is very cheap. It's only worth a couple of dollars. This AMC right. stock, to which I say, 
that's because it's a shit company in big trouble. That's the right. value is two dollars. And you're like, well, it has to just double from here. How wouldn't it? It's AMC. And I'm like, but that's why it's priced at two dollars because it's on the way right. down. So but, you but, don't know if it's gonna go but up. But I thought it was anything. it has to go up some, I thought, just because it, people will want to go back to the movies. No matter what, there is gonna be something where people have to get out of their houses and go do stuff. You're working from home, your family's at home, all stuff. You man, can I go at nine o'clock by myself and go watch a movie or something? But that's I think, not what caused it to ten X. No, it, it, it's not. <laughs> So I, my 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 theories weren't the reason why. It's just that everybody's like, "Fuck all these, uh, you know, Wall Street tycoons that are." That, so Wall Street buys these companies that are, yeah, collapsing to make money. They put in yeah. unbelievable amounts talk of money. About that, but I want, I'm curious though. Did you not have any tip on AMC that was pure, or you're not on those Reddit threads and the GameStop no, stuff? Like I didn't maybe, even know. I was, thought maybe yeah. when I got up this morning and saw it that you had been getting no, like crypto goofy no. Whoever does that kind of stuff. From I heard about a whole different stock. Uh, you know, I was flipping through TikTok and heard about another stock called like uh, I forget what it even was, but it doubled too. Uh, but that was the only one I heard. I just thought AMC. I was like, I was just thinking about stocks, and I was like, I'm just going to look at that one, and because I knew Regal went out of business as well, out of business. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, it's the only one, and there's yep. there is property, and it is set up to show movies. So that somehow. So there was just an intuition. There wasn't, and and none of the what's happening today right now. I think I just looked it up. It's gone from two dollars and twenty cents last week or whatever to uh, twenty dollars this morning. Yeah, ten x <laughs> today. I mean, be, and, but but uh, I, you know, so basically we're at the territory of discussing what's happening in total here with the GameStop, right, and and this and and the other stuff which involves the short selling and whatever's going on. Are you do you understand that what's really happening? I this is a very, yeah. very new, unprecedented, volatile, very exciting, likely chaotic, likely lar- likely negative things that are going to happen to many people in many ways. And that's, again, this is that chaos of, like, uh, this is the big, these, all these anomalies that you keep seeing <laughs> in the last yeah. year and so are all, they're funny now. And when you, there'll be some time when we look back on all this and go, oh, that was when that started. Oh, that's when that started. That's when that started changed over we're in that time of, and this is these are uh funny interesting uh notable and will be historical things that'll be looked back on when things started to do like they're doing now oh well, my knowledge of stock doesn't go that far so what i don't i guess i don't totally understand but here's what i feel like i know some hedge fund puts up a bunch of money because the stock is going under, and I don't understand how that helps them. If the this stock's going under, me. I can't wait so, to explain it. <laughs> okay, so they do that, but somehow it read. Everybody gets on Reddit and is like, "No, let's fuck these this company. Let's fuck Wall Street and screw them over, and they're going to be out." So that whatever hedge fund was doing that with GameStop is screwed right now, badly, probably. Right? So maybe you can explain a little bit better. Okay, so what is happening here is like it's there's a it's it's the internet has empowered you know just people to aggregate themselves and then make big crypto people have been doing this for a while a little bit so crypto is yeah. volatile people compare it to the tulip bubble of whatever you know it's just it's trading at its value but it can be all hyped up and there's things called pump and dump have you seen the movie movie boiler room yep you know yep. where they go where they make they pump and dump stocks so they talk a bunch of big whales into buying a stock so that it goes up and then they get a bunch of small fish from these phone right. scams and get them to buy it and then they all sell the stock but they owned it before they pumped it up you know and so they, if you get right. enough people to pump the stock you can just pull your shares before Any it crashes stock on stuff. them yeah. or whatever it is yeah so so that starts to happen in cryptocurrency and stuff where these redditors and people and the, the I don't I don't really follow or understand qu- crypto 
you know, Twitter, but they they basically can get an, enough public movement to go so that it can inflate. But then as long as you're the one inflating it and you pull out before that little micro bubble, that's what high volatility does. So you just if you're the one pushing it, you have a giant Twitter account and you can actually affect the market enough, then you'll know how to pull out on, you know. Right. Now the stock market that's and that's crazy crypto, dark web, evil, right. all that stuff. So decentralized. That's yeah. And so yeah. everybody was like, whatever about that. But now those types of strategies and those things have worked their way over into the fiat currency, Wall Street mainstream thing, and it's gonna—it's just really—it makes—it's gonna really make people nervous because now it's just like this narrative stuff that is able to work its way into these markets that the stock markets and the brokers and the hedge funds and the fucking money people that a lot of people think are the worst people on earth causing most of the problems are going to be affected. But right. it's going to be volatile if this type of thing begins to work and work more and how it's going to re-regulate and what it means for the futures of currency and investing is big. It also comes at the time when they're about to open up micro-investments to people. Do you know that? I will get back to the exact stock right. thing in a minute, but all this territory is important because it all kind of converges. You know how they're going to be soon allowing micro-investors to invest in startups like IPOs kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they don't have traditionally, the big money system doesn't let the little guys get in early. That's always been one of the ways that they say, and they say it's to protect the little guy. That's what right, they say. Right. But really, it's only rich people can play at the high-stakes tables where you can when? So in real estate, yeah, you got to have a bunch of money to get in. Even the stock market, you can't really – I mean, you can trade stocks, but in the investing in new companies directly like that, they're going to open it up so startups can start taking micro-investments under – You know, you, before, you'd have to ha prove that you have this big account and you're worth right, this right, and right. get certified by all that. So um, all these things together are, are going to upset some of these bubbles and monopolies that Wall Street and the financial institutions and the hedge funds and stuff have. That's kind of the battle that is gearing up. So that's just going to be – I mean, there's going to be huge people that lose so much money on both sides, and it's going to be wild. I mean, it's going to be wild, the future financially. Not to if mention the system lets are people do crazy. it. I mean, well, I, it's, that's what I'm saying. That war is going to be crazy. There literally might be a war. I already saw it today watching AMC. I mean, they stopped trading several yes, times. That's what I'm saying. And I was it's, like, how yes. do they do that? They're doing that. And that, that they, yes, they say protect people. They're trying they're, to fuck people over. They're protecting rich people. Right. Right. I mean, they really are trying to do that. They're trying to protect yeah. everybody. If we stop it, if we make a pause, it's like calling a timeout in a football game. You stop the momentum if you can. It's the yeah. exact same thing, right? And so exactly. it's just, I mean, it's really exactly. fucking people over. And I'm telling you, we are living in, I don't, I mean, war sounds so intense and like maybe the wrong word to use, but I, That's I mean, not the, wrong word, the, no. the, 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 it'll be the new war. It, it, it's a coming. Form of a cold war, or it might yeah. even be a hot war, but it's not a physical hot. I mean, you know, we're going to have new terminologies right. for wars. Like people talk about culture war. That's a you know, it's a real war, right? Of some and type. It, so uh, it, you know, yeah. And so it's all going to change. I mean, it, it it is hilarious how volatile and scary it is. But I mean, I I don't know. It's just. I mean, it, <laughs> it's going up up and down all day today. I've just been watching it, and I was like, man, you know, and so. I just don't. I wish I had more of the heart for it. Devin does. I'm, that's no, why I'm like, you don't De want to do. You don't want to play in this. Trust no, me. No, I don't. It's really funny that you have the ability to just, you know, it's. It, it, look, I give you all the credit in the world, and that is why I am friends with you. Is because I am doing the things that make sense. I am making calculations and projections. And I love to just explain it to you, but there's nothing makes me happier with it than when you're actually right and I'm wrong about something new or crazy. Yeah. I'll, I'll switch immediately. I mean, I'm an idiot. I know nothing. Yeah. 
You know, now, meanwhile, I'm not buying AMC. I'm just going to chill. I'm not getting involved in any of this casino. Man, I think it's the so craziest lucky. thing you don't have the, You don't have that FOMO, man. I have no, that FOMO. I have the FOMO, and also, uh, the fo- I have the, <laughs> when I buy it, I immediately have FOMO of missing out on my money. Like, I'm, but you don't I, it's understand. Immediate. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the institutional elite. My grandfather gave right. me $10,000 that I'm never going to spend, and eventually yeah. it'll be worth a million dollars. That's right. what I'm doing. I'm not ever going to take the money out, and I'm never going to spend it. Right. So that's why it doesn't intersect with the people who like to do all the stuff right. you are interested in. Which, so which that's I, what I'm saying. That's I so came exciting. from my dad. My dad's played the lottery every week for 10, right. 15, 20 years. <laughs> I mean, that's just, yeah. you know what I mean? It's exactly what it is. The lines are blurring between those two. Anyway, I love that, but not I'm not in any way but, interested in carrying my life savings into the casino in my fanny pack. Right. Personally, I, that's yeah. not something I. Would I'm do. not that either. I'm not. I'm not that either. But I, I. I would love to have a little bit more disposable income where I could just that's sling it around and not care. It. But no, no, I know. No. I know. You could play games with it. Give yourself a thousand bucks. Go go hog wild, and you could get lucky. I mean, there's no time. Right. Obviously, but so what's going on here? The way this works is, you know how if you invest in stock, there. In a sense, it's gambling, but typically a stock's only going to go down a percent. So worst case scenario for a, some big stock or whatever, you buy a premium stock, it's going to go down some percent you would sell. It. It's not like you would even lose right. all your money. Now, right. if you do risky stuff and invest in bad companies or extreme rare, rare things happen, the and you never sell because you're so stubborn and you chase it all the way to the bottom, it is possible to own stocks and things and ride it all the way down to zero where you could literally lose all of your money. And that right. sounds crazy. It's not like yeah. the casino where you can lose it in a single roll. But if you were stubborn enough, in theory, you could lose your money all of your money in stocks. Typically, yeah. when people have big stock losses, they're, you know, just a percentage decrease. Right. So now, short selling is the key term here for what it, this phenomenon is that has been exploited forever and now a weapon against. Okay, so short selling is like this relatively risky thing that people do to bet against bad companies, drive companies' values down on purpose get people out of their jobs and hope the business goes bankrupt so that they can make a lot of money. It's betting against a company. It's being at the craps table and bet and everybody's, you know, it's whatever's going on, you bet against the shooter with the dice. No to the pass line or whatever. Yeah, right? don't pass yeah. line, right. And don't pass so, line. So you you if you think that the company is going to fail and the stock price will go down, then you agree to buy shares of that stock at a future price, you basically borrow shares that you are going to sell, uh, that you're going to buy. You commit to buying shares later, basically. So you borrow the shares now, and you will pay the price for them later. Okay. So you will. So by the time that you have to pay the price, it'll way be worth down. way less because right. the company's tanking. And by you engaging in that, you're going to further devalue it, basically. Okay. So you so these hedge funds can push companies downward and then profit off of that. So it's seen as leachy right. in a sense. Right. And now, so that's why everybody yeah, so that but on a side note that or on, on this topic, it, that's why everybody's saying this is the retail industry fighting back. That's right. right? Correct. Because right. they're saying GameStop in a GameStop's way. GameStop's over. AMC's over. You know, Express right. at the mall, which is a company I've been complaining about because I buy their T-shirts, and they've been horrible. 
I mean, they're <laughs> right. horrible, horrible, horrible. They're not managing online well at all. I already knew that, and then now their stock's going up. For, it's like it's right. So, so there's a little the game on it is like okay. So here's what's so crazy about short selling. Why it's so risky? Because remember, in a regular stock, you could lose at most all of your money. Right. But when you short sale, there's no limit to how high the stock can go, and you're committed to making the purchase. Right. So not only can you lose all the money you have. You can lose way more than you put in, way more. You like if the stock goes up ten times, like if you bought that at two dollars right. and it goes to zero, you lost a thousand shares at two dollars, right? Two thousand dollars. But if it goes up ten times to two thousand dollars, now you're committed to buying a super inflated thing, and you get a bill <laughs> for way more than the original two thousand dollars. Now you got a twenty thousand dollar bill. Right. When you you didn't ever have twenty thousand. All you have, I mean, they they have to have a certain amount to play that game, basically. Sure. So, you know, but nonetheless, they're obligated to cash out at the high price, which can be multiples of what the, of what it originally was. Whereas when you lose money, you just can lose what you put in. Right. So you're actually it's like bu- buying on credit in a th- th- yeah. in a way where you can get stung, unbelievable. And so now these people have really put this momentum to fight back to drive up the price of something that was targeted by these people as short sales, and it stings them in these unbelievable ways, and then inflates this thing, and now it's off and runaway. So now everybody playing the game is just playing some spin until it maybe inevitably goes down or whatever. I mean, everybody thinks it'll inevitably crash because the it's untethered from the company, which actually sucks and is not going to. Right. Nothing about the stock price has anything to do with the company at this point. So, so the now down, you have this yeah. pure thing that's up there spinning with winners and losers. Unbelievable. Chaos. That's what I was going to say. There still be uh, regular people losers in this because oh, they bought they bought tons. in. So you, the way you have to play the game is to know when to get out. So at right. some point you should take the winnings, even if it still doubles or whatever. You got well, yours, and, and but yes. I mean, there's people. There was a guy in the club uh, talking. I forget who it was. I, I, I was scrolling. Said he bought in at GameStop Brett. at like. It's seventy dollars or something. It might have been Brett. I thought it was somebody. It might have been Nick. Is Brett the Butthole Wilson. Uh, I believe. It might have been, but it might have been Nick or so. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember. But they bought in like seventy bucks, and uh, it it went to three hundred. <laughs> You would have thought buying GameStop at seventy dollars is the foolish, most stupidest thing you could have done. <laughs> and man, doesn't he wish he bought more? That's the thing. Don't you wish that, you bought but, more? But but yeah, but he was riding a bad stock all the way to the bottom, and then this. Th- I mean, get out, sell it. I, I mean, come on. I mean, this is this is a goal. You know, there's no good advice of how to do it or to ride it. And the people right. they're telling you it's going to go higher are the people that want to make sure they get out right before you. So think right. of it that, that. But overall, whatever the public decides is going to happen with that stock is what will happen. Right. So as long as as long as you cause ten more people to go buy it, your pyramid scheme will work for yeah. temp- at least temporarily, and that's how the whole economy works actually. And so it brings right. the whole thing into this everybody's mind, like everybody's about to understand how all this stuff works more and more because it, and it's going to really have big effects on how they regulate. Tra- I mean, probably bad. The government probably swoops in and fucks everybody. That's poor more, you know. Right. Or, you know the money fixed out away basically, but it's so fun when there's these when these chaotic events happen. Well, that's what I was getting ready to say. The government will still protect the fucking rich people because you know what they'll do? They'll just. Uh, I mean, you know, if you buy a stock and take it out in less than a year, you have to pay more in capital gains. 
So you already had to pay more of the money, just like the lottery. If you take the bi- the big chunk, you got to pay more of it. You don't get the billion dollars. You get maybe half of that or something like that. So there's going to be a lot of people that maybe will even walk away with some of this, but they might even just raise the taxes on it. Oh, well, you're going to well, play this game? Well, are less I mean, than income tax, though, sure, but it's a, still, a, rich but it, hole, a loophole for rich people. I mean, no, right, that's how right, they make but, their money, and it taxes right. less than what I get taxed. But I'm saying the way you do your stocks, if you hold it for longer than a year, it's less in capital gains. So one year is already still more. Like if you play the game of the uh, the quick pump short and term, dump yeah. stuff, short-term stuff, then you get fucked more. And, uh, and they might just do it even more in the future. I mean, the, the, the rich people are rich and going to stay rich. You're right. You don't, That's what I'm you don't saying. have to worry it's, about All them. they do is cause their immoral activities to be technically legal. That's how money right. works. That's what right. it does. It legalizes immorality on their part because they can't until right. there's some way to challenge it, which this is one of those – it's a immune I mean, that, response yeah. to this badness that exists. I saw, in, in I saw a video of Dave Portnoy, though, talking about somebody you know, the, on MSNBC and the, was complaining, this is not how stocks are done. People are ruining yes. it. And, the, and those fuckers are the worst exactly. people, leech people, yes. gross people that, on Elite earth. bubble people. Yeah, I, exactly. I mean, they're, they're, they're terrible people. And the, and the regular guy's the bad guy because he exactly. got in on something. Yes. I mean, get the fuck out of here. Now, the, the little guy is going to get fucked is what they'll say. They'll say, but yeah. the little guy's the one that's actually going to get fucked. And we, you need us and more regulation to protect them. I understand that will always be the narrative. That's the narrative for everything. Is right. we need to save you from yourself? Okay, got it. I've been told that my right. whole life. But let me ruin my life, please. Let me, please. Let right? Me. Don't I get to choose my own way? I mean, I'm I'm please. so fucking stupid that I need some yeah. idiot, on, you know, at J.P. Morgan or whatever, telling me how to fucking do my life. I wish they nah, could short the sell uh, me. Yeah, I, I, I'd make them that offer. Oh, now we got to just now we uh, now we just got to go. Uh, now we just got to make uh, bad Christian an IPO, right? We'll make our own coin, yeah. Well, yeah, of course we'll I, our, our own currency. coin, our own coin, our own. You know, I want I want bad Christian to be a stock. Let's pump it and dump it. I mean, any respectable cult will eventually have its own form of currency. So. Yep. All right, I tell you what, I'm excited for Francis to join us in a minute. I already told you why. I hope everybody will come see our special tonight. Um, but before that, let's listen to a little bit of music as we get Francis piped in here. You're listening to I Will Fail You. We heard it before, and yes, it's Demon Hunter. These quiet words, they carry me away. Returning, they keep coming back. All right, you're listening to I Will Fail You, one of the songs from Demon Hunter's upcoming project, uh, Songs of Death and Resurrection. And upcoming, it might even be, I think Mike can even get it right now. But anyway, check it out. Songs of Death and Resurrection is a collection of beloved, and I'm talking about beloved, Demon Hunter songs that have been reimagined into acoustic arrangements featuring the full band, string sections, and lots more. To pre-order the record, head to demonhunter.com. Dot live to find exclusive shirts, box set vinyl, and more, or head 
uh, over to Solid State Store for their vinyl variants as well. I Will Fail You and Dead Flowers are the singles currently available, but many more are on the way. So go to uh, go follow the band Spotify and Apple Music pages so you don't miss anything. Songs of Death and Resurrection is available everywhere on March 5th. Pre-order now. Excellent. This is one of those things that Ryan Clark does really well. He's a big fan of Alice in Chains, and I was listening to Alice in Chains Unplugged. That series from MTV is so good. And Alice in Chains did it particularly well, and I know that's a big influence yeah. on Ryan. And this is like, uh, you know, it's really great. So I think that's uh, uh, really cool stuff that people are doing music these days. So just keep open mind, um, especially these higher level productions that are on top of albums are very, very exciting. Um, thank you, Toby. Hope y'all like that song. Okay, let's see if we got Francis. Here we go. I uh, switched that. I had it on the the uh, computer mic, and now it's on the good one. It should be. Uh, you're comfortable? Can hear us? And you have a? Do you have an hour to, to to chat? Sure. Yeah. Excellent. I imagine you're good with uh, time management, given your set of skills. I don't know how that works, but I find guys like you seem to not. They seem to be accomplishing a lot, but yet very flexible, minute to minute. I find. Well, I actually don't have a hard out, so. Um... <laughs> Perfect. Well, Francis, uh, we're glad you're here and you're from uh, Kairos Cognition. And this is what's kind of cool about this. So I'd never heard of this before at all. Matt, you found this. Now, what's funny about it is, I, uh, Francis, I used to work at a church in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and our pastor, Pastor Ron, he would always use the word Kairos. I, he would use it all the time. And I was like, uh-oh, Matt's sending me some Christian stuff. <laughs> like, I thought it was something from, you know, Matt founded a church or something like that. But, it, you know, then I saw the cognition part. I was like, well, maybe there's something a little bit to this. But, Matt, I'm, I'm used to, like, if I'm going to do a survey or something, it always has to be kind of fun or silly or, or not really going to apply to me that much because I just want to disprove it. So I'll, I'll do some of them. Or the silly ones like cosmopolitan ones or something, you know, that, you know, that says this or that about yourself. Then I go, look how stupid this is. Don't you understand all these things are crazy? We did this one. Matt sent this one to me and I was blown away. I was like, wow, this is serious. I, Matt, how'd you even find this? Well, I mean, I, I've been on a little bit of a journey of, of, of becoming aware of metacognition as an intense interest of mine that maybe it's kind of always been there. I've just never really had the exact awareness of it or need for it or know how to think about or talk about it so i'm kind of on something like the beginning of a journey of this um in my mind but uh there's a roundabout way where i wound up encountering this uh but i'd like to start just to get to know francis a little bit i'll tell you more about me as we go but francis how does somebody like you come to be in this field of metacognition at this point in life and do the things that you do it doesn't sound like any job or career or type of thing that i'm very familiar with familiar with what you do yeah yeah it's uh, uh it's kind of been invented as i've got along so um um i uh originally got interested uh 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 well, I, I, I just born curious. That's just the way it was. And so uh, I'm always uh, following my interests, want to learn something, want to figure stuff out. Um, and uh, and it's at some point uh, uh, when I was in college, uh, 
I did all the, the coursework for four different majors, only wrote a thesis in one because you know, I ran out of time, but I just wanted to learn everything. You what know, were those four topics? I'm curious how, yeah, what types of interests you had describing yeah, yourself that way. I started with economics and that's what I wrote my thesis in, but uh, took the coursework uh, for geology, English, and history. And it was just because I was interested in everything. And, you know, they, uh, I actually grew up in, um, in uh, the Boston slums and in those neighborhoods that when you go, if they're like movies like The Departed or. Uh, oh, really? Uh, yeah. The, the, uh, in The Departed, when I watched The Departed, I could put names to every one of those characters. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, like, I grew up with all these people, you know, <laughs> and um um, I don't know if you um, remember the name of Jack Nicholson's character. I don't recall the character name, but I know the movie and enjoyed it. I'm glad to yeah. hear it was accurate. His name was Francis. And, oh, that's oh, yeah. right. And he was actually named as I was. That character was named as I was for my great-grandfather, who was one of the founders of the uh, Boston Irish mob uh, back at the turn of the 20th century, the beginning of the 20th century. So, um, so you know, I came out of you know, that kind of underworld. Um, uh, and, um, but, um, yeah, my paper route took me from the Irish neighborhood through the Hasidic neighborhood into the black neighborhood. And that just allowed me to be curious about everybody. Um, and, um, and then when I went to college, um, they had, uh, they had all the food I could eat and um, and all the books I could read. So I felt like I'd gone to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> but is it to you is the kind of thing where you're just interested in consuming lots of information, uh, you know, in, in wide data sets? Is that kind of yeah. how it feels? Yeah. And and I have no idea why. Uh, 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 everything looks interesting. <laughs> I go to uh, I, you know, I go to a new country and okay, now I want to learn this language, you know. <laughs> so, um, so, um, so I started. So when I graduated from college, I thought, well, I want to. Uh, I was interested then, and in, yeah, I didn't really have a subject line. So, um, so yeah, what was I going to study if I went to more school? You know, uh, um, even though I loved living in a place that had endless food and endless books, you know, I, I had to figure out how to, how to make a living. Um, and I didn't have any specialty. And so I decided, well, let me, um, I want to figure out how uh, humans acquire language. And um, then I get interested in how humans acquire reading. And so then I decided, okay, I want to learn more about this. I want to teach. So um, I actually had no teaching credentials, but talked myself into um, uh, teaching internship at a, at a rural school in Maine and, um, and was working with high school kids and um, got to work with a high school class where kids were in high school and had never learned to read. And so we were teaching them how to read. And uh, so you know, what, what's this about? You know, how, you know, why is this so easy for some people and so hard for other people? And, um, and I realized working with high school kids was too late. So, um, uh, so I decided I actually went into a program uh, for elementary education, again, with no prior credentials. 
and <laughs> talked myself into that program. It was a master's program, um, and uh, and it was in. Um, uh, so I was teaching third grade in um, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and was just really interested in you know all the things that these kids could do, but then some kids really had a hard time doing certain stuff. And, um, and you know, yeah, my colleagues would say, oh, they're, you know, that one's lazy. And I said, there's nothing lazy about that kid. I've seen him <laughs> do all kinds of stuff right. and pay attention to all kinds of stuff. Um, but um, but he's, he's not reading. And so um, started to dig into that. And while I was doing that, um, I, uh, got, I thought I was being invited to be a participant. I now realize that I was a research subject. Um, so there was, a uh, the, um, uh, we were within a short distance of the Harvard Graduate School of Education, and I got invited to participate in a couple of projects. Uh, one, they had a psychologist named Howard Gardner, who had, uh, just published a book called Frames of Mind. And, he was the first person to um, really go public with the understanding that our brain wasn't a single processing unit, but it was really a collection of processes that did different things and more or less communicated with each other. And that more or less communicate with each other <laughs> was mm -hmm. the most interesting part of that. Um, uh, and then I was assigned to a project where we're studying how boys and girls learn math and then uh, I was assigned to another project where they were trying to figure out how to use um, desktop computing um, as a tool in education. And, um, uh, but uh, uh, really just was got involved in why this kid who could do just about anything was struggling to read. Uh, I uh, got the idea. We had just gotten our first photocopier. This tells you how long ago all this stuff was. Uh, and I realized if I, I could blow up a page of text, cut the the text up, blow it up again, yeah, the, this photocopier allowed you to double things at that point, paste it on a piece of paper so there was an, it was big enough and there was enough space around it that this kid could read perfectly. Um, and... Um, we found out that he wasn't lazy. He had a non-degenerative muscular dystrophy, which created a, an upper body weakness in his muscles. And his eyes just fatigued. You know, reading regular sized text was like uh, running a marathon for him. And he just fatigued. And as soon as we blew it up, um, uh, he was able to read. And so, I started looking at all kinds of stuff. You know, well, what is the thing that's keeping this person from doing the thing they want to do? Right. Uh, and uh, so now take it forward. The survey you took, uh, have you ever seen the big short? Yeah. Okay. You know how the, uh, um, uh, the uh, Christian Bale character, you know, kind of uh, listens to thrash music and he's going through all of these uh, minute, mortgage-backed securities. Right. Uh, well, I did that with educational testing. When I saw the movie, I thought, oh, my God, I am as big a nerd as, <laughs> <laughs> as Christian Bale's character. Uh, I went, I, you know, mine was probably rhythm and blues and not thrash, but it was, um, uh, 
uh, but I was I unpacked thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of educational testing and all of the minute data looking for patterns. And those 53 questions you got um, are the distillation of of that work. Um, okay. Um, that's tremendously interesting, and I don't know your history, so that's been very helpful to me, but it, it makes me feel even more confident of the the reason I resonate with your work, I guess, because I, I share some things with you in, in some of those ways you already described to a lesser degree. Um, but so we arrive at the survey you've made that was born out of this. And to, to me, the, just off the top, like Toby was saying at the beginning, if you arrive at this study, this research, this questionnaire, this thought process, um, it can be compared to a, a quiz thing on the Internet about your whatever thing or cosmopolitan or the Enneagram or astrology. If you just browse some of the things you could see that. And I've always had a very intense dislike for most of those things because I do not find them mechanical. And I know that they're not from the bottom up. I know that they may have, they may contain truths. They may help people. They may show people things about themselves and do many discovering things, but your work and the work of David Allen, when I encountered it, I immediately understood it a hundred percent on each sentence sounds intentional it sounds like i wrote it it sounds like it's written by in the language that i speak natively not regular human speak the way people talk i don't know how to describe that phenomenon um but it's just a very distinct one it's it just seems like all the words that you guys write are precise and very intentional and they are it's written in my native language <laughs> and so all of a sudden something that sounds like a quiz like the enneagram which i can't really even allow myself to do um all of a sudden i'm open to this self-analysis because i trust it i just have a familiar trust with it so i'm able to engage with it so I find that very fascinating i'm curious what your thoughts are on that um reaction from me real quickly too i um uh, my Listener is 67%. I'm sure we'll talk about it in a minute, but I think your mic might still be a hair hot. I'm hearing a little bit of a buzz in my ears. Can we fix that real quick? I don't know if he can turn down just a tad. Or are you, is it, does that have an input game? Are you yeah. for sure you're on your, uh, your mic? Maybe tap on it and see if we can hear it. Cause I don't, it sounds like you might still be on the room mic. I'm just getting a buzz and I just, I, this is so good. I don't okay. want to, yeah, I don't no want to mess it up. We can just take a second. Take a second. We'll get it. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm still on the input mic. Okay. How's, how's that one? Oh, there we go. Whew. All right. <laughs> what, one of the questions you asked uh, uh, in, or one of, yeah. in the results, it says, how much time do you waste listening to people chew? And that, that, that <laughs> one got me. I was like, oh, my gosh. That is like I just hear these things. And then I'm like you, you said, like how I'm processing the information and how I'm managing it with that uh, it really does. <laughs> like I can't stop it like i'm i'm listening to you and i'm hearing both things at the same time trying to process it but we'll get back to matt's matt's question about everything y'all were doing was really intentional um and uh uh and did you uh uh i we haven't talked do you know the connection between david allen and me i I think i do no i don't actually i was a that's a follow-up question i have but we don't have to get off into that yet if unless that's a good setup for where we are now no, just I know that the, you work that you start that he's involved with Kairos, but I was familiar with him from getting things done first, which I just discovered in the last year. So, yeah, I went. I came to, to get to getting things done as a client in 1999, and okay. I had just gotten a call from security uh, at where I worked that my office had been ransacked, 
And I burst out laughing because that's how I left it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I was pretty much of a disaster. Um, uh, that uh, that my stuff was a mess, and I've had uh, years of psychoanalysis because I'm mad as a hatter. So you know, between the two, okay. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I'm a patient as well as, <laughs> uh, as well as a developer of, uh, this stuff. So, okay. Th- then I'd, I'd like to speak more about that, um, then, but, and I th- feel like we're getting a pretty good, I would like to get more technical to be honest, and we've sure. got the time to do it. Uh, but I do want to take care of the story overview part, which is another thing I know that you are very clear on, um, because of the emails that I get from you always start with a simple image, a story that leads in in a narrative way and then begins to give technical information that's very precise. And I, it's like, oh, that is how you communicate. It's so effective. So I want to make sure in that same way that we understand who you are and your background and um, how that everybody can place the, the work that you do. If you can describe it more, then we can get deeper into it. But how does what you do relate to, the, let's say, the Enneagram? Yeah, and I uh, I've looked at all of that stuff too, you know, with uh, you know in in that uh, uh, during that period, and uh, most of it has some truth to it. Uh, you know, it comes out of um, people looking at other people and okay, you know, what makes them tick, and um, and trying to find patterns to that. So the um, uh, so the Enneagram came out of that and I never discourage people from looking at that stuff and, and seeing if it, uh, seeing, seeing if it speaks to you. Um, what, um, what we've done as a, uh, as I've said is, um, we looked at data and analyzed, <laughs> the, uh, uh, if I can be street Boston on this, we analyzed the shit out of it. To get- <laughs> Yeah, I always make fun of the Enneagram, but that's just kind of for sport. I do understand that people get a lot of good out of it. And and one of the reasons they say it's so great is it's timeless or it's been around for this long or it's part of this long whatever. And I would just say, okay, but now we've got some pretty intense neuroscience. Might we want to use that when well, we're analyzing yeah. how people are. So. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, and that's where I, that's where I go. So. Okay. <laughs> but, okay. All right. But yeah, All right, you so know, up then. That's good. If the if you if the enneagram is fun for you to do and you get some insight from it, then go for it. Why not? You know. <laughs> so. What about the uh, Myers Briggs uh, and Big Five? Big Five to me seems relatively useful. Yeah. So the Myers Briggs again, something I really admire the development of it. Uh, you know, developed in the mid mid fifties, nineteen fifties. And it was a very powerful insight uh, into, uh, you know, what uh, the different ways we manage and transfer information, you know, and uh, what, uh, it's interesting you say the big five, what the, uh, uh, what the Myers-Briggs did, uh, they mixed the psychological and emotional with the cognitive, because at that point we didn't know enough to know, okay, now we know that our cognitive stuff comes off the top of our brains of white matter and, um, and our emotional life comes in the deep, comes out of the deep midbrain. So in our work at Kairos, we call it Kairos cognition because we're doing, we're, we're looking at how you think about stuff where we're focused in on that and isolated to that. The big five is how you feel about stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, what the Myers-Briggs, uh, up until really the 
the first decade of the 20th, 21st century, uh, we didn't know that uh, how to separate how we think about stuff from how we feel about stuff. And so now we do. So now, uh, and, um, uh, and I decided to live in the world about how we think about stuff and the big five folks and are living in the world of how we feel about it. And, um, uh, and I pay attention to both sides, but my expertise, I forgot kind to of push my expertise on how we think about stuff. That's and then a, David, a, a great and David Allen is how we do stuff. So yeah, right. you go to David Allen for how to actually do the stuff, kind of lead to how to think about it and big five, how to feel about it. That's the best way I can summarize my life so far. Now that you've set it up like that is if there's three things to do in life, feel things, do things and think things. I've been stuck in thinking my t- yeah. so far for 40 years, only thinking and thinking about thinking, sometimes doing stuff without any hope of being organized and not don't do a lot of feeling either. So that's me, <laughs> but I understand those frontiers now and there's tools for me to expand to the other two areas. So that's exactly where you catch me at this point in my life. Yeah, I get, I, that's what happens to me as well. My problem is I get stuck in this. It feels like cyclical where I have to force my attention on something. Then I get, some form of exhaustion from it or boredom from it or whatever. And then I feel like I've wasted time and also resentment of myself because I did try, <laughs> you know, like I, I'm trying to not waste feel my bad. time. Like, yeah. like you say like on, on your site, you're talking about like time definitely is like our most uh, precious best asset. And it's the number one thing that we don't know how to move through. Well, like it is the thing that I, I have no, like I, I can understand quickly with my kids or something if i've treated them poorly or they're treating me poorly or something like i can understand and tell them hey this is what needs to change but for me i cannot overcome myself sometimes yeah well you want to look at your score profile sure let's do it Uh, maybe we can tell the folks at home (laughs) i sound like uh norm mcdonald but this is (laughs) this is the survey we took and it was 53 questions and uh, I don't know, what else do you want to say about it, uh, the actual survey, Francis? Is there anything else you want to say before we get yeah, into the results? Uh, what we're doing is we're measuring your reflexive response uh, to, uh, to, the in, to the information that's showing up from, from our surroundings. So we have, um, uh, uh, so we uh take in information in all different categories. Well, it turns out we have something analogous to our handedness and that uh, some, some of that response to information is easier and more reflexive. And some of that, and our response to other information uh, 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 takes more work. And it doesn't mean that we're, uh, it, it's necessarily better or worse what we're doing, uh, how we're thinking about it, but it's just it's just harder. So much the uh, uh, much the uh, same way. Uh, I'm right-handed. Uh, anything I just about anything I do with my right hand, I can do with my left. Uh, and if I were a professional athlete, I would have trained my left hand to be nearly as competent as my right. But it's always going to be a little bit, take a little bit more energy, even when you've trained your left, uh, than it will if you're right-handed. Than mm-hmm. it will be with your right, and then vice versa. If you're, uh, some of us are 
are left dominant, that's going to be reflexively. And degrees of dominance too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, so um, I'm, uh, uh, I'm actually, I'm going to, uh, may I share my screen? Yep. Oh, do I have to allow you to share the screen? And uh, you call these uh, on the site when my report it said we call uh, associative and sequential processes, and we also have a separate reflexive responses for our communications yeah, processors. Listener, observer, yep. mover, reader, and talker. Yeah, and we're going to go through those on the report. Okay. If you're trying to screen share, do I will it let, allow you, or do I have to do something? Yeah, let, let me check here. I think it's give it a shot, bottom. and if I have to approve it or something, I will. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, you got it. Looks like Great. You got it. Awesome. So, so, um, so these are, uh, so I'm starting with what we call the associative. And there are those, the, there's the two processes that do most of the work of allowing us to manage information. Um, and all of us do both much the same way I'm right-handed. I still walk left, right down the street, carry things with both hands. I need to use both. And all of us need to use both. But we do have uh, those degrees of preferences and across a bell curve. And uh, uh, our associative is what we call our rapid integration system. It's what allows us to, what it does is it holds us in the present moment to allow us to be as fully alert in the present so we can be as rapidly responsive to stuff that's coming to us from the present. And really its job is to be alert to uh, opportunities to move toward threats to avoid. It's, you know, so it's constantly assessing the stuff that's coming in, opportunity, grab it, threat, avoid it, um, not valuable enough, let it, you know, let it blow past. And, um, or not a threat enough, let it blow past. And, um, um, and then it, because of that, it allows us to do something else. So, uh, so the uh, assessing opportunities and threats are what's happening when you're driving at high speeds down an interstate highway. You're, you're trying to be as present as possible so you can be alert to the brake lights going on in front of you, the car next to you drifting too close, the animal about to bound across the road while the radio's on, the phone's starting to ring, and there's a tractor trailer truck roaring up behind you. And the associative gives us that 360 degree present awareness. And then when those red lights come on in front of you, you recognize it as brake lights, take your foot off the accelerator, put it on the brake for exactly the right amount of pressure for the right amount of time to come to a safe stop while checking the rear view mirror to make sure the truck behind you is doing the same thing. And when all of that happens optimally, it's about a 30th of a second. You know, how do we even do that? Right. Well, we're accessing our experience which is to say anything we've learned, remembered, trained for, patterns that we recognize, analogies we can apply, which is why the 30-year-old driver is more effective than the 16-year-old driver, even if the 16-year-old has better eyesight, better hearing, and better reflexes. The 30-year-old um, driver, will, the 16-year-old might notice that thing sooner, but the 30-year-old will, will recognize it sooner. And then the 30-year-old is more likely to have learned, remembered, and trained responses for how to deal with that thing. So boom, the 16-year-old's, what's that and what do I do now? And the 30-year-old's, boom, done. 
and uh, onto the next hazard or opportunity. Oh yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I never have put it that way. You said recognized it. The, the older person will recognize it more qu- yeah. quickly. That's really interesting, especially like as a sports fan. That's why the older basketball player isn't as prime physical shape, but they recognize what is happening. The the, the associative circle, like you said, more quickly than the person who might physically be quicker. That's cool. Yeah. So, so when it goes well, the compensation for getting older is that you've got more stuff to pull, to pull from rapidly. So, uh, uh, now at some point that starts to, <laughs> right. <laughs> the compensation gives itself up toward the end of our lives, but, uh, uh, but with, but yeah, learned experience helps us for a long way. It gets us a long way down the road. Right. So, um, uh, now, now what's interesting, what else it does is, um, so it's looking for have I ever yeah have I ever seen this have I ever experienced this before? Well, if it doesn't find that, have I seen anything like this before um, to help me understand this? And then if I haven't seen anything like this before, have I seen anything uh, similar or analogous to help me understand this thing that's going on? And then at the very far edge have I experienced anything that gives me a whisper or a hint or a scent? Uh, that gives me uh, an idea of what's going on. So it's a little bit like the bloodhound. You know, you you give it a little bit of a a scent, and it starts running off toward the target. <laughs> um, right. Well, that's exactly what our associative is doing at the far end. You, if it gets a whisper or a hint or a scent, it takes us in back in to something that we can use. Um, do you mind so, if I interject there? Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know if you know this or not, if we covered this and we talked on the phone or not the other day, but Toby and I are musicians, you know, by trade um, and podcasters second to that. We've been do- playing music together and traveling and touring and writing music and creative stuff like that for about 20 years. And what you're saying there is a pretty good description of how, for instance, Toby describes finding creative ideas that you way out on the edge and you pull them in and you make them and you find, you know, what, what was, what it was. Uh, I think he just dropped off the call while I was talking about him or I kicked him off on accident, but he'll reach. <laughs> but, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but that is the, what you're describing there as it applies to, you know, trying to come up with a song is you have to get so present and then you, f- there's a faintest whisper of an idea and then you think it's something and then you make it something, but you have to go way out there to get there to find it. Um, and then try to bring it back. I mean, that, that kind of feels like what you're describing. Is that, uh, that's it, that, no, that's exactly right. And I'm going to get to where you two are on the scale. Um, uh, but I now want to bounce over to the sequential. So the sequential does just the opposite. Its job is to slow us way down, hold us still. So we can put the full weight of our attention and intellectual force on one thing Mm -hmm. so that we can understand how do I know this and how am I going to get this done? So if you're using the associative when you're driving at high speeds down an interstate, you use the sequential that day you walked into an exam room to solve a math problem. Now, you probably walked into that exam room with the associative dialed up so you could take in all of those fascinating people in the room, maybe understand the architecture and design of the room to choose your you know, optimum seat for you. You were, saw what was going outside, noticed what was going outside the window and maybe smelled the aroma of lunch coming from the dining hall that day. 
um, all of um, all of that's the job of the associative. So now to do solve that math problem, you have to pin your the weight of your attention and focus on a you know square square inch in front of you. Unpack the information in that within that square inch. Understand it as a rule of pro, a rule and process. Um, operationalize that rule and process through to a conclusion and maybe do that 30 or 40 more times. All, all the while trying not to pay attention to the fascinating people next to you, the person tapping their foot or um, uh, sneezing or, <laughs> or muttering and the uh, soccer ball bouncing off the window and, uh, and what's going on, you know, and, and thinking about lunch uh, that day. This stuff sound familiar? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, exactly. You describe, uh, and I think our audience has a, you know, Toby and I wind up attracting people that are either in relationship with people like us or are <laughs> like us, um, in some mirrored way or, or, or dependent way. So, um, th- that type of divergent thinking and hard to wrangle minds is, is very familiar for, for all the type of people I roll with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so what happens is you can, if you can see from the curve, almost 60% of the populations over here on the sequential side, mm-hmm. almost 40% is over here. So, because this is most people, the world education, lots of stuff gets organized around the sequential uh, stuff gets thrown at you all the time that, People want you to, okay, screen out all of the rich universe of the world around you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Focus on this tiny piece and, and do that for two hours, please. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, when you're over here uh, and you're over on this left hand, that's not how your brain works. And, and so that was one of the first things that got unpacked with um, you know, looking at how kids learn. You know, we were, we were, expecting kids who learn over here to learn like kids who learn over here. And it, it's just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's it, like, go ahead. I have very detailed thoughts on it. Like I, I just, I have detailed thoughts of what it feels like to have to shift those two. And I know what it, it's just the weirdest thing. There's certain things I can do in a sequential way, like music editing. Like if I'm editing audio, I get into what I would say is a deep, deep flow state, which I love. And it's extremely far away from being verbal or anything where I'm just immersed in the, I think I would call that very sequential, but to get my mind into that mode is so far away from this mode that I'm speaking with you today or, you know, and it feels like I have to go in and focus on the math problem, you know, and there's something satisfying about getting in that mode once you're in it. And if you have the skills to do it, but if you don't even have the skills in that other mode and have to force myself to go into it, you know, it feels like I'm running a different operating system an emulation of an operating system, basically. Yeah, uh, and you just described an interesting phenomenon, um, that ability to get into the flow state during sequential. Um, uh, so uh, the sequential process allows us to keep time. The associative process holds us in the present moment. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking of the associative process, typically that's the experience you have when you're fully engaged in something. Um, all of a sudden you look up and it's dark, you know, what happened to the time? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, because you weren't tracking time. The associate process tracks events. 
that knows that event A happened before event B happened before event C and kind of has the knows the relative size of that knows that you're that uh, you know your recording session was long your conversation on the phone was short uh, but it's not really tracking time as distance this side tracks that tick 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 of time distance as distance and you probably experienced that uh, in a classroom one day while you were waiting for the period to end and that mm -hmm. five minutes <laughs> right tick, tick. Uh, that's the uh, that's how the sequential keeps time. And so one of the things we see is when we ask people who are sequential preferent, a question like, how long is your daily commute to work? Back when people used to commute to work yeah, in the olden days, uh, they, um, uh, they'll say things like um, um, 29 minutes today and 20, 28 minutes yesterday. And they'll, tell you what, and they'll tell you what made the minute difference. And uh, when we ask people who are associative preference, we get answers like about a half an hour. Mm -hmm. And you don't really know if it was 45 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes, but it was a, you know, or, or you know, or, or you know, 20 minutes or 45 minutes. It was a half an hour size event mm -hmm. in, in your mind. And the only time it's it's important is when you say, I'll be there in a half an hour to somebody who's sequential preference, you show up at minute 36. The person who's sequential preference feels you've just stolen 360 seconds off their lifespan. They'll never get back again. <laughs> and you're like, what? You know? <laughs> it's about a half an hour. Close enough. But we're we're walking. These two groups of people are walking through the world. Um, sorry, I bounced here. Are walking through the world with a different experience of time. Mm -hmm. And it's completely invisible to us, uh, to the, to us ourselves, what our experience of time is, and and what it, what the other person's experience of time is like. So, what is the editing, audio editing flow state I experience, where I am immersed in something I think is sequential, but maybe I'm not even looking at it right. But I I'm I'm in a flow state, focused deeply on a small, what I feel like is a small thing, and I definitely lose track of time when doing so. Yeah, so that's where I'm going. I had to okay. get to the first to go to the second, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You are in the sequential. So here's what's happened. The, the reason we know about this time stuff is a neuroscientist, David Eagleman. You want to look him up. Okay, uh, I've heard his name. Yeah. So yeah, he's done the breakthrough work on time. And you and there are great videos out there uh, where he's getting people to uh, bungee jump with an instrumentation, you know, to explain to get them into the associative to see, to, to track the experience of uh, time moving slow. In slow oh, motion. is this the one where if you're scared, time moves like does more, do you record more while you're falling backwards off of a yeah, thing? Yeah. yeah, I know that experiment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, one of the things he's got is we keep time with our sequential and our sequentials headquartered in our frontal lobes right behind the tops of our foreheads and our our brain's timekeeping mechanism is a set of neurons right, right there behind the tops of our foreheads that pulse on a regular basis the way a quartz crystal does in a digital clock. And, um, that, and those, those pulse, pulse, pulses, and as a musician, it's a syncopated pulse, a syncopated pulse of those neurons uh, is how our brain uses to track time. Uh, now, the thing is that keeping time is is costly to our brains. It takes a lot of energy to do that. And it slows our brain down. 
That's why we keep time with our sequential and not our associative. If our associative kept time, our associative would be too slow and we'd never be able to drive down interstate highways uh, because we couldn't make that rapid response. We can only make that rapid response if we, if we unhook from our time keeping mechanism. And nearly all of us unhook from that time, uh, you know, unhook from the timekeeping mechanism when we go into the associative and hook back in when we go into the sequential. There's a rare number of individuals, typically people who are way over on the associative side, sound familiar? Um, <laughs> who, uh, and people typically with a high degree of cognitive energy who are able to do sequential processing unhooked from the clock. Mm -hmm. And so when you're doing that deep dive um, in that intense focus and you're losing track of time at the same time, you're one of those rare people who can do sequential thinking, but unhook yourself from that. Yeah, I've described it as being in another place. It's not I'm yeah. not sitting here at this desk. I'm in the computer. I'm surfing the waveforms. I'm one with the machine at that time. And if somebody comes, if my daughter walks in the room to ask me a question, it feels like she's standing right beside me and talks to me. It feels like she's 70 miles away and I have to walk down a long hallway before I can say, yeah, okay, you can watch the TV. No, like, you're exactly right. So far. And then I had to go back down the hall. <laughs> and now I'm so far away from being able to re-engage the you know, what I, what I was doing. No, you're in an altered state of consciousness that very, it's a real thing. It's a real neurological place. It's nothing, you know, uh, you know, well, mysterious to someone like David Eagleman, it's not mysterious to, but, <laughs> but it's, you know, you're still inside that brain, but you're in, uh, you're, you're using that sequential processor without its clock. And that just makes the sequential process do something something different that it that it doesn't do when it's connected to its clock, and it does something that the associative process doesn't do. Yeah, Thank I'm gonna you have to for giving me some language for that. That's I might great. have to get you to explain that to my wife because she, <laughs> when I, I do the same thing, I'm, she's like, I, "Did you not hear anything I said or whatever?" But I'm thinking about something, and I'm like Matt said, I'm just there. Like especially when I'm being creative or like writing music or something, I'm not in the room i'm yeah i, I might right. even be with the listener what i think like i go to them and what they are responding to like i'm that's just how my brain works but i'm just thinking where what will this make someone feel and what how will they understand it and grasp what i'm saying and what will what will it make them do bob their head or enjoy it or feel something very emotional and i'm there and then you're right my, my wife wants me to empty the dishwasher and she's yeah. right. And she's not being mean, but I, how do I get there? It almost seems like you're, I'm being a jerk. You can't even process the request when she makes right. it. Right. No, you're, right. In that deep, yeah. you're in a deep brain space where your input outputs are shut off and you're, you're just inside the chip. <laughs> um, yeah. So the speakers are off, the microphone's off, the camera's off. <laughs> yeah. and you're, right. And you're deep inside. Yeah. So, yeah. So tell the people you live with, you're not, I, you know, I can vouch that you're not ignoring them. Probably <laughs> are times when you do ignore them, but that's a different right. state. You know? um, this state is you're very deep in there and the, there's enough input output. And, you know, if the, if the building went on fire, you know, it would alert you, but um, 
but other than that, it's, yeah, it's, it's in a very deep state, you know, closed off from the inputs outputs. Yeah. I can remember when I was little, people used to use the term and it might be true or appropriate, but selective listener. That's what they would say. You know, I was a selective listener. I, like, I that, was, that's code I'll, for lazy or bad kid. Right, right. That's what, <laughs> yeah. that's what it always meant. But I was like, I'm like, like you were saying with the story earlier, the, the kid could definitely read. He just had to figure out how to get to, to what he could read. And that's the way I, I've always kind of felt. Like I, I have lots of stuff that I can, uh, you know, uh, do, but it, I get caught up in the, in my world or something, and it's hard for me to go back out of it. Or Bless something. your heart. I know. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and in fact, both of you are active listeners over here, but this isn't how well you hear. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with your hearing. It's the kind of sound your brain responds to. And out here, your brain is looking for new sound, nuanced sound, um, uh, meaningful, subtle sound, um, uh, stuff that, you know, uh, that's, that's, you know, more than just ordinary conversation or, yeah. um, you know, the ordinary, you know, sound of the stuff and, you know, uh, necessary stuff out there. Toby, it, let me give you that one, how it works in our world. When we're on our tour bus hanging out, uh, oftentimes somebody will be there that you have to entertain or make yeah, small yeah. talk with as a guest. And if I'm caught with that person, I'm miserable, of course. Um, yeah. and, uh, Toby and Dave will be on the other side of the bus, having a conversation very far away and they'll say something and I'm looking at him and Toby looks at me and he looks at Dave and he says, what Toby yeah. about me, <laughs> you tell Dave, he's always listening. Yeah. He's always listening because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I listen to what they're saying. And this right. person sitting here, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pretend like I'm talking to them, but like I'm scanning for what's the most important thing in the room. I'm oh, I, and it isn't what I'm doing and it drives me crazy. Right. Right. Your brain is scanning for interesting, valuable, and useful information. And it's not the loudest. It's not the closest. It's uh, not the person I'm making eye contact with. It's not the person you're making <laughs> eye contact no. with. Might be. It's great when yeah. that coincides. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, your brain and your brain's making its own decision about what it thinks is interesting, valuable, and useful sometimes. You're not even fully in control of that. It, uh, it, it's, it's gotten me into trouble. So this is yeah. the thing y'all talking now is helping me <laughs> understand yeah. a little bit of me. So I realized that those things that I noticed, uh, I was just noticing them, not yeah. putting any judgment on them, yeah. but I realized if I use that in conversation or brought that topic up, it made other people laugh. For example, Matt, like Matt, one of the things I noticed about him that I don't, I think other people might notice, but don't think about it as much as me would be he'll eat and, and the way he when he's he's still he's a talker so he'll talk while he's eating but he breathes through his nose and then he's just he's doing like and and i so i'm just noticing it and i can't yeah. not think about it and then i realize oh if i bring this up everybody will laugh and i and toby's funny but matt might you know or somebody might think i'm being a bully or i'm being mean and i'm just saying it because it always it does get a laugh everybody else then recognizes the thing that it's kind of i guess that's probably a part of observational comedy i guess or something you know that, that you observe something that everybody kind of knows but they're not picking up on the level that you have and then you bring it to their attention and they go oh <laughs> that's really funny but that's kind of how my brain works i pick up things of people and it with no probably no judgment really uh, you know yeah. but it's just something that I, I can hear in my head right now i can still i know exactly what it sounds like for matt to be eating something and trying to talk to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and and to your brain it's just data and then you know but then right. when you bring it out of your brain out into the world you know then <laughs> right uh, uh 
and of course, observational uh, comedy is, you know, always is based a little bit on surprise. And, um, and you know, people who don't, aren't fully conscious of this stuff, it's still going into their brains. You know, it's, it's getting, you know, the brains are picking up, but their brains are just kind of batting it off because yeah. they're not looking at, so when you bring it forward, it's like, oh my gosh. And that's that shock of recognition and surprise that can be right. there. Or if you're the target of it, it can be embarrassing right. and shame. So yeah, but other one, but it's really, it's just data. You know, it's just your brain's taking in data. And then uh, that's the big five that tells us how we're going to, yeah, how it's going to impact us emotionally. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so Toby and I are trying to get a grip on this when we think about ourselves a little bit. But the big five then is your temperament, basically. And that seems to be set like a thermostat with neurotransmitter configurations to keep you on track at your temperament is my understanding of that. Does that jive with what we're talking about here? Toby has a need for that type of thinking and that type of reward for observing that or finding the interesting nugget. Like there's something in the, something in there that's driving us to do that. Yeah. And, um, that, and so much of, uh, our emotional response is, um, is learned behavior the uh, the cognitive stuff? Um, uh, I'm I might be uh, associative. I I'm, I'm I also have associate preference. So I'm going to be associate preference no matter what room I work I walk into, no matter what person is in front of me. Um, but I might be. Uh, 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 but. I'm more extroverted in some circumstances with some people and more introverted with others. Mm -hmm. So the, um, the, the uh, emotional stuff is more context specific and it's responses that get developed uh, um, from our social interactions. And what's so fascinating is that infants um are watching how their parents respond to people. So who do they treat like authority figures? Who do they treat um, like peers? Who do they seem to warm up when, the, when someone walks into the room? Uh, who do they get cold or fearful when somebody walks into the room? And, and uh, infants are picking all that stuff up. And that's what it goes, starts to go to drive our emotional responses. So some of your temperaments in the big five are genetic and some of them are set in that early childhood based on that. And then they, yeah. then, then yeah. the different environments you'll respond different ways to re-regulate to your baseline temperament. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, and so some things you can change, uh, but like right-handed, left-handed, you know, yeah. you can get better at left-handed if you're right-handed, you can get better at right-handed if you're left-handed, but, um, uh, we don't switch. Excellent. All right. So that on listener, Toby and I are on more of the active yeah. listener scanning for stuff. And some people, the opposite of that is what? Uh, so the, uh, the selective listener is, uh, uh, is when your auditory process really goes into sleep mode unless it's really interesting, really valuable or really useful. And it's, it's looking for 
big stuff. It's not picking up subtleties. It's not, no, you can, you can point it out to somebody. So uh, my brother-in-law is an, an auditory, is an audio engineer. And uh, he, he picks up on stuff that I don't pick up on, but he can put headphones on me and say, now listen for this thing. And when he tells me, then I'll hear it. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm, but I'm not automatically picking up the nuance. Right. That's the person who just listens to a song and hears the song and it sounds good. To them. Right. Exactly. Hearing the bass drum frequencies specific right. to the bass guitar. It's, it's main idea thinking exactly. And, uh, and main idea pickup, uh, where you two are picking up the nuances. Mm-hmm. What's the next category after listener? The, we have observer. Uh, observer yeah, next, yeah. Uh, oh, so is observer the set similar to listening but visual? Yeah. So yeah, it's parallel. So um, there we go. I'm having trouble with my finger here. Control here. <laughs> All right, let's go. Come on. Oh, why isn't it doing that for me? <laughs> it's okay. There we go. Uh, now this is where the two of you have a split, and yeah. observer. Yeah. You probably never noticed. Listener is a single bell curve um, mm-hmm. with the uh, with the most of the population in the center. Uh, observer is another double bell curve, and what we get is on this side, on the left side, we call that a your your your. So it's your. Re- so listener is your responsiveness to meaningful sound. This is your responsiveness to meaningful visual information. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out visual information comes to us as humans in two kind of packages. One is our responsiveness to essential information. It's so uh, yeah, we're looking for how well does this thing do the thing it's supposed to do? Is it functional? Is it useful? Is it um, well-designed? So a tool, um, how does it fit in your hand? How is it balanced? What is the, you know, um, uh, how easy it is to use that tool to do the thing the tool was designed for. Um, So um, um, you're really looking for that um, uh, useful, um, you know, efficient quality of, of design. And then when we're on this symbolic side, um, we're looking for the stories things tell. So the, so the symbolic information begins with our facial expressions, our body language, our style and fashion, the way we organize and decorate our spaces uh, to all the language of art and architecture and design. And, um, one of the ways we represent the difference is to take, um, you know, say a mug for a hot beverage. You know, the mug has, uh, this is a design for essential quality. It has a size, it has a volume, it has an insulating capacity. as the way the handle responds to my hand and the rim to my lip, all of which allows it to do its functionally useful job of conveying a hot beverage. Now that same mug could have symbolic quality and that it um, it um, it had your logo on it, your bad Christian logo on it, or it could have been made by a potter, you know, or it could have been a gift, a souvenir, or even a family heirloom. 
in which case it has a story attached to it. And that story doesn't allow it to do its functionally useful job any better. But we create identities around those stories. We convey information about ourselves around those stories. And those stories often will hold memories or associations for us. So even though they don't allow us to do the thing <laughs> better or may improve the quality, the essential quality of that thing, um, those stories are very important to us. Um, does that make sense to you hearing that? that the two oh, man, that's the most that? essential split yeah. between Toby and I that give us a complementarianism that really works because <laughs> we're aligned on a lot of the things, but this is the one where it's just completely different, you know. Um, it, I can't even know, recognize people's faces and I can't tell if my wife gets a haircut except for when she tells me, I go, I knew it. I saw it. I knew you got a haircut. I swear I knew it. <laughs> right. I, if you get pointed out to you. <laughs> I, I knew right. it. I knew I, I just didn't, I just didn't see it yet. I mean, I saw it, but I didn't say it to my brain where I can say it with right. words yet. I don't, you know, and Toby would never not notice something if somebody's shoe was funny. Right. <laughs> I'm you the know. person that always see if we're at an airport, I find the, uh, celebrity that's walking through before anybody could ever or would even notice it. I know I, I always do that. It's funny. The uh, at the end of mine, uh, it, it, this section it says, "If you buy something, it must look good." And that so it's funny. You're right. It compliment we compliment each other, Matt and I. I've always been jealous in a sense of Matt's observer <laughs> level here because he can just move on. And I can't like we, we, we've built a bunch of stuff like in our bus or uh, we go to Home Depot and Matt will just pick out the wood, the two by four, throw it on the on the cart and we're moving along. And I'm like, wait, but don't you see that the, that piece of wood doesn't look as good as this other one over here? And that, if that one might not be as good as this, if we dig a little bit deeper, we might even find the better one. And, and I, so I'm stuck there thinking they always make fun of me at the uh, food court in the mall. I have to go to every single restaurant and see which one looks the best is going to be the best so I can get it. Uh, if I it has I to feel have like a story I, and a meaning, right? For him. And yeah. Matt can just has to he, he can move right. Yeah, it has to have a story and a meaning. You're right. If he got the best deal at the food court. Is he has to weave it into a story where he's a hero that and now he's eating the six dollar lunch. But thirty <laughs> minutes after everybody else, <laughs> <laughs> it takes so long. But you're right. Yeah, that that is. I'm very much like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm I mean, hyper functional. You know, like I I use one cup all day every day, except for when I drink tea and I drink it out of the half gallon jug that it comes in because right. it's very functional. But I do have to the point that you can switch. I have a bad Christian uh, glass that has our logo on it. And I choose that many times. It's the only other cup I would ever use. And it's deeply meaningful when I choose yeah. it. But otherwise, I just need the liquid inside of me. Yeah. And yeah, we all do both. Again, it's like, you know, walking left, right down the street. But yeah, we lean lean one way or the other. And so, yeah, when that two by four is in the wall, is it really better? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it's probably going to hold the house up just about as long. <laughs> oh, exactly. And it's also the exact divide between Toby and I, where I'm designing the user experience and hierarchy of a website, which is just the most important thing in the world to me. If it's wrong, I'm, I can't survive the right. day. But I don't know anything about what it should look like. And people go, but you seem like you have all these opinions. But I, I feel like I'm real, like a blind person explaining something that's very important visually. Yeah. Like I feel like I'm blind. I'm not looking at things ever. I'm just thinking about them and telling you about them. I'm yeah. not looking at stuff unless it's an emergency. 
But you're creating that essential user experience. Yes, so the, yes. So the user's eye goes to the right place. Their fingers go to the right place. Yeah. Will they be confused here or not? You know, is it right that does that that has to go first because it's more important stuff like that? But I don't know what it should look like or what colors to use. I don't care. I'll, I'll give you an example of the extreme end of the uh, essential. Uh, uh, worked with a woman who is five on the essential scale. She's an anesthesiologist, and she's the one they call when they have a fourteen or sixteen hour surgery, because uh, you know uh, op- operating rooms are messy, noisy, you know, a 16 hour surgery, they're, they're arguing with each other. Right. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, they're, they're, it's amazing. They even function, you know, they're, they're, all, yeah, they're uh, for that 16 hour surgery. She just has her total focus on the patient. laser beam. Yeah. Oh, wow. she, um, she probably couldn't tell you the names of the other people in the room. You know, right, she's right. worked with them for years because they're not interesting data. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who the surgeon was wasn't interesting. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's all in the patient, and this, so that five observer means she's distracted by nothing, and so she can do that very difficult, sensitive, important job to keep somebody alive over you know in an anesthesiology in a, in anesthesia for. 14, 16 hours while they're taking the person apart and putting them back together again. I mean, um, I, that doesn't make me feel good about ever going under anesthesia, that you need that to keep you alive. <laughs> they get distracted, <laughs> you die. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want the person who's yeah, yeah. not distracted, doesn't right. care what, you know, <laughs> what color, uh, you know, cap the doctor's wearing. <laughs> right. Exactly right. All right, we got three more here. What is it? We got mover, reader, and talker. Yes, um, I'm going to go back. So I didn't get to put all yours on the on the bell curve. So I'm going to go back out and uh, and uh, and and bring your reports up. Uh, 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 do you remember what yours we are? Both obviously, anybody out there can guess what we show up on talker. Yeah, yeah. So talker I think like. I, yeah, I'm eight. I'm 89 percent on time. I'm 93 on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So mover, reader, and talker uh, do the same thing, but do it differently. Uh, what they do is they represent the neurostimulus we activate when we activate one of these. So mover is the first one we learned about when marathon runners started talking about a runner's high. So what's this, you know, when they, you know, mile 22, when they should be in absolute exhaustion, they're getting euphoric. Uh, How is that possible? Well, it turns out when we activate our striated muscles, the muscles that move our skeleton, we actually self-generate a stimulus. And that stimulus does several important things. It, um, uh, It calms us a little bit, sharpens our focus a little bit improves our memory and retrieval a little bit, elevates our mood a little bit. And the higher you are up in the talker scale, the more powerful that neurostimulus shows up, oh, even wow. with simple physical activity. And so it, it, it 
it wakes up your whole brain. So you're, you're hearing that. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. So that just means, I mean, I mean, and the, a lot of this, I guess, is really close to, I think, evolutionary psych at this point, right? Because yeah. it's just like, how would you be selected for an environment? But if you got to do some serious shit, then it's going to give you the chemicals required to do it, basically. Yeah. Like if you start it, running or getting an ice bath or whatever, it's like, here we go. And now you feel euphoric and it's time to get active because you obviously need to survive right now or, you know, so right. now that, that, and that helps you then think because now you're moving now you have that chemical now you're alert now you feel good now you're focused on survival and now you can uh write a paragraph yeah no uh, a lot of us still have you know uh fingers and toes because that sharpening of our attention when we're in motion you know kept us a little bit more alert when we were using the saw you know <laughs> um, yeah um so yeah it is adaptive um now, at the same time, someone on the who's uh, 25 on the mover scale, I call those people the iron seat people. You know, those are the people who uh, can sit still and stay focused for long periods of time without um, uh, feeling any urge to move because they don't get any neurostimulus from it. So, yeah, we say strengths and weaknesses come out of the same well. You know, what makes it easier for us to do one thing makes it harder for us to do do others. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the three of us are all active, <laughs> active movers. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, uh, so I, uh, uh, so, uh, so my physical activity is swimming. I'm lucky enough to live near a facility where I can uh, swim laps every morning. And that sets my whole day up. If I mm -hmm. go in, swim laps, uh, calms me, focuses me, wakes up my brain, I'm ready, I'm alert. And it improves my mood too. Mm -hmm. So if I'm anxious, you know, uh, that's going to pull my anxiety down. You know, if I've got a stressful day coming up, that's, it'll set me up. Does all that sound familiar? Well, I yeah. do. I go underwater every morning outside in the cold. Oh, great! Yes. For the same same reason. And if I had a lap pool, I would definitely go ahead and knock out forty five minutes of strenuous at that time. You know, maybe not in the cold water, but you know, I. I but but that what you described there is is right on for me. Yeah, for yeah. me, I, yeah, for me, I, it, it's funny. I feel like doing something, doing some exercise, especially like walking, running for me. Maybe even swimming too. If I had that, I don't. I don't have a facility near me, but. I feel like it makes everything about my attention go down to that so that then I can have free thought. And like, I think when I'm bored, if you will, or I lose my attention, it's because I'm doing some kind of low level thing, like looking at Instagram or something, yep. something that just takes my attention. So if I'm, if I'm out jogging my attention, there's enough of my attention focused on keep moving. I know it's hard, but you know, are you breathing right? You go a little bit further that then the creative side of me can just open up and I can think about my day more clearly. I can think about the work that I have to do, all of that stuff. And you're right. And then afterwards I'm, I'm have spent some energy so that I can feel like I'm more focused. Yeah. And are you picking up the pattern that you're, that none of these are at the center of the bell curve for any, for you. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, second, it all ties in in this way. This is crazy because I, the second I understood what alternative music was or saw Kurt Cobain, I'm like, Oh, I know I've always known I'm not regular. I just, this right. been so obvious to me that I'm not like, you know, the humans or, that I grew up around or the, the standard ones and I didn't fit in or whatever. So just alternative cultures, always been a call um anything that's you know anything i 
care about, I won't have the mainstream view on it. Yeah. You know, it's just that the main, the, the middles of bell curves are not for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I, I, I've known and you can, any way you want to measure it. I, I'm not surprised to find that out. Yeah. And you know, we need people at the ends of the bell curve <laughs> out there finding the stuff to, to drag back into the center <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, for, for everybody else. You just, but it's tough to be 10, 10 years ahead of everybody or sometimes a whole generation or two ahead of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't, it's not necessarily ahead unless it's just something that people, you know, I think the interest thing is like, you could be interested in something that's not useful to anybody and never oh, will be, yeah. you know, <laughs> It's not ahead, you know, but sometimes, sure enough, I was ahead of many people in many things. But sometimes it's just I'm interested in something that never mattered <laughs> to anybody. Right. And and um, and yeah, why be normal? You know, that's <laughs> just different stuff. Um, activate your brain. Um, uh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, why not? Uh, so reader is that same neurostimulus but this time generated by decoding text. So when we decode text, our eyes literally have to search and find the letter or word, identify the letter as a word as a symbol, identify the symbol as a sound. It's a three-step neurological process. Say those so, again. I'm sorry, I have real trouble in this area, so I'm curious. Sure, so you have to identify, uh, uh, so you have to search and find the letter or the word. So you're looking at the page, you gotta find you know, your starting point. You've got to see the first letter. You've got to hold on to that first word. I hate that part. Yeah, and then the um, and then to identify that. So you're identifying that. You're searching and finding that symbol, and then you need to um, well, and then you need to identify it as meaning something. So those marks on the page. You know, there's a lot of marks on the page uh, on pages. These are mark uh, uh, marks on page that have a that represent a symbol. So you've got to then identify what the symbol is. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to identify the symbol as a sound. Um, and, uh, and we can also get the possibility of a neurostimulus for this. Although, so let's see, uh, let me check both of you here. Um, let me get back down. That's already interesting because I don't know if I do the sound part with words. If I have to read out loud, then yeah. I have to turn them into sounds, but then I can't retain the information. But yeah. if I get a text, I scan it and I understand it, but I never read it left to right. I just, the bigger, the important words stick out, the yeah. context matters. And I think I know what they were saying, but I don't really read if I'm trying to, if I really, if you want me to really know what's on a page, reading it left to right isn't the way I attain the information. That's the way I say it to other people, but then I don't get to know what it said if I read it out loud. Right, right. Uh, so you want to, uh, look, I'll send you a link to it. Um, uh, professor of Literature at the University of Paris uh, wrote a book called How to Talk About Books You Haven't Read. And he actually, so he, He's a leading professor of literature in Paris. He thinks reading is overrated. Um, what, what you're trying to do is get information. Right. And however you get that information is, is you get the information. And if you talk about it with somebody, get it from YouTube, you know, it uh, doesn't matter. And he say he's scandalized the academic world. What? You don't read? <laughs> right, right. Well, 
you know, he says, when you read from the first word, the second word, the third word to the last word, nobody closes the book and then recites the book from first word, second word, third word, last word. You've lost most of it. You've forgotten it. He calls it unreading. And so you've put all of that uh, attention and energy and time into it only to inevitably forget most of it. He says, so don't bother to do that in the first place. Love it. Oh. <laughs> I just kind of stare at the middle of the page and move around until I understand what the page means. Uh, what uh, uh, Pierre Bayard would have, would applaud you for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so sometimes I can absorb a page in seconds and you know what I mean? From a few clues, like a jeopardy clue, yep. like in jeopardy, I'm good at jeopardy because I, see all the words at once and answer the question with the, while I'm listening to the beginning of the question before anybody else knows the question, I've already seen the key words and I know what the question is probably going to be. And I think that's how people get good at jeopardy. You know, the, you yeah. know, this is a two is the double process of taking in the data from the question more than listening to Alex, read it or reading it ahead yourself. As right. you're doing Which is really hard too. When you think about how tests in elementary school, you know, uh, middle school, high school are, I, because I'm retaining some of the information, but I can't tell you the answer to the question uh, that clearly or, or, or uh, detailed, right? Like before we got on, gone here, got on here, Francis. I was trying to, I was telling Max, I was, we were talking about our our test here, our survey, and uh, I read a book recently that was super impactful to me, mm-hmm. and it was about how uh, it, you know life has meaning under all circumstances. And I said, Matt, I do not remember the author of the book or what the name of the book is. <laughs> and he said, oh, you, oh, Matt hasn't read the book. He says, oh, you mean Victor Frankel, right? And I, I've talked to Matt about this book a lot, but I, I couldn't remember. But I feel I, like I, rem- I know it well. Right. <laughs> but Matt understood it from me telling him about it. And right. I, understood, I understood the big themes of the book and what it was trying to tell me and about logos therapy and what Victor Frank was trying to say, but I did not value his name. His name didn't have a much of a value to yeah, me because yeah. I cared about the information, not telling people, Hey, I read this book by Victor Frank. That feels, uh, who cares about that? You know, it'll come up on jeopardy though. And I'll get it. Right. But <laughs> I would lose, I read the book and was right. highly impacted by it and would lose that question on right. jeopardy. Yeah, <laughs> I'll look like the one that knows the book that hadn't right, read it. Matt, yeah, like- I know. <laughs> That's me. Well, different stuff gets our attention. My reader score is 23, by the way, not to be competitive here. Uh. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, but so, so my life's work has been trying to, to keep people on the ends of the bell curve from being oppressed. I've been, I'm fighting for people at the ends of the bell curve. Uh, Uh, That's so, (laughs) such a good way to say it. I didn't know you thought that. So is that like a, is that a, a, a understood, uh, yeah, spend some more time there. Is that for a formal way that you think of all your work? And when did you know that? Yeah. Um, 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 I, uh, I knew it when uh, when I was seven years old. My cousin who lived across the street, you know, was struggling to to ride a bike, and um, and uh, and he was getting teased and, you know, uh, you know, my uncle, uh, his father was frustrated with him all the time. Like what's wrong with you? Uh, everybody can ride a bike at your age. And I could see that whenever he was, you know, we, we lived in this dense urban neighborhood. And so there are always people out in the street. So whenever someone's, you know, if you're taking a kid out to, to learn how to ride a bike, you attract a crowd. Just what happened, and um, uh, and I could tell he was distracted by all the people, 
So one Saturday morning, we were both happened to be out early. There was no one out in the street. I said, um, uh, can I help you uh, ride a bike? And we were nine months apart. We were super competitive. He really needed to ride a bike if he would let me help him. Um, that, that's how bad he, he needed to. But, um, uh, but uh, he, you know, I got him started, got him going. Uh, also realized that the, you know, the way the, 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 the sun was hitting made a difference. He needed to be riding into the sun um, so that he didn't get distracted, you know, by the shadow in front of him. He, he just had that high level of visual awareness. It was just distracting him. I couldn't have said it that way then, but I could, but I, intuit, I understood it. And um, he learned how to ride a bike that morning and, you know, never stopped. Um, so. Uh, How'd so, that feel to you? You, you realized that you had a special ability at that time? Uh, no, I just, we, it, I just, I felt weird all the time. So, um, so it was just another, you know, weird nerd thing that yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, that, that I had. And, um, and it happened to be, it, it happened to put me in affiliation with my cousin instead of conflict with my cousin. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, but it was a risk. It could have gone either way. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, he could have told me to fuck off and, and then we'd be in a fight. So, right. um, but, um, uh, but he didn't, so it worked, but, um, but that story I told you about the kid who was, um, you know, who was struggling to, to read. Um, and, um, uh, and that's, that, uh, put me into, uh, for a long time, I was a teacher, then a school administrator, and I was trying to make schools work for those kids. Then I went to work at a college, uh, up, and that's what got me to Vermont. It's called Landmark College. It was actually started by a Harvard PhD uh, who had a third grade reading level. And he started first in ele uh, elementary and then high school for kids with learning who would what we call learning disabilities. And then he started a college for college students with learning disabilities, which is still here. It's a, uh, 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 and, uh, and, and still thriving. And, um, and uh, uh, my job was to make college possible for people at the ends of the bell curve. And, uh, and that's when we do, we developed this survey out of that. How do we, um, uh, how do we recognize what, how, how we teach people. So how do we bring these students in, do a rapid assessment? Because none of the other uh, tools, SATs weren't predictive, um, lots of diagnostic testing weren't predictive, IQ tests weren't predictive, uh, school records weren't uh, predictive. I once accepted a student without recommendations because he told me, if you need recommendations, I can't go here because none of my teachers like me. Okay, right. I'm I'm gonna accept you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, because because I know what you're up against. So right. do you, you use the word oppressed uh, versus the word something like underserved? Um, I think that they're being served. You know, there's whole departments of you know, special ed and uh, of, of people trying to serve. Um, I don't. Um, uh, 
there are as there are outlier educators who are recognizing these students and doing great work with them. Um, but um, but the system is not working. Am I wrong? You're out there. No, you're not wrong. Not, <laughs> no, not wrong at all. Yeah. And, um, but, the, you I, know, the intent, it, you know, the word oppress is a strong word, uh, you know, and it's very I'm hard. Heartbroken. To, I am heartbroken by what's going on out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, why you know, why isn't there more movement then? Like, it seems like most almost everybody can articulate what we're saying generally here, that it's th this part of the system is broken, along with many other parts for many reasons. Uh, but why is it s this way? Um, you know, what forces I, prevent progress from your view. Um, it, uh, so here's uh, here's the example of what it should have worked and it didn't. So. Uh, Cory Booker, now U.S. Senator, was mayor of Newark, New Jersey. He got together with Chris Christie, who was then governor of New Jersey. So, uh, so uh, you know, uh, uh, Booker's a Democrat, Christie's a Republican. They got together around education, and they brought in Mark Zuckerberg, and they were going to put all of their focus in on the new on the Newark public schools. So, with accommodation like that. Um, it's they, uh, you know, they should have created something that was, this is uh, what now 10 or 15 years ago, they should have created something that was transformative. And now every, the whole country would have total failure. They just, it just, the bureaucracy, it was like shooting arrows into a, a 50 story marshmallow, you know, it, nothing, nothing happened. Um, yeah. With, yeah, three talented coming at it from different perspectives, coming at it with different resources, um, uh, fully committed to do this thing, and they couldn't make it happen. Uh, the um, um, there's just too much uh, too much at stake keeping things the way they are. I think that um, there's a guy named Ray Dalio who's yeah. been frustrated by many initiatives to to do things, but for the same reason. Are you familiar with him? Yeah. In fact, I read something he said uh, this weekend that made me think I wanted to call him up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, he's uh, he doesn't have more money than Mark Zuckerberg does. <laughs> right. Um, uh, so, um, so I don't know. He's right. Yeah, I read what he said, and he's absolutely right. Um, and, um, uh, and so I mean, Mark Zuckerberg and Dalio both probably really understand this stuff. Is my yeah. sense that they're alternatively wired people, neurodivergent uh, individuals, probably themselves, and yeah. see things clearly and have billions of dollars, right. and they and it's not like they wouldn't try if they could. So is that that's just the way it is? Well, I don't know if you could just do it with money. Uh, Michael Bloomberg would be president right now. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, he had all the tech savvy and all the money. And uh, when he ran for president, um, you know, that's not enough. Uh, uh, you got to win the war of ideas. And, so you uh, think it, it'll be something? Do you think there is? Uh, 
I mean, do you think anything like what would what will it take for change to happen? Do you think in the system it'll be a long, long time thing, or is it it's worth? I guess what I'm asking is, it's worth just digging in and helping individuals then, or is it like trying to? Is it a waste of time to look forward to a newer thing altogether? Well, you know, um, uh, so uh, 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 when Jim Kim was head of the World Bank five or six years ago, he said his goal was to um, uh, end poverty for the two and a half billion people who lived under two dollars in, in, in the world who live under two dollars a day. Um, and it's important that people have that focus, um, but most of us, you know, got to feed the people around us. You know, that's our job is to make sure the people around us get fed um, and the people in our communities get fed. And, and, and eventually maybe that'll get to the, to the 2 billion people who aren't, and maybe we can do things that will get to a few of them, but this, it's a big, it's a big thing. Um, mm -hmm. um, and no, you're, you're really hitting on, um, so I've been, you know, I've had, I've been working on this, uh, this uh, school thing since the, since the early eighties. So, you know, it's coming up on 40 years. And, uh, and I feel as though when, uh, when I was first doing this work, we really believed we were going to transform education and mm -hmm. we were going to open it up to, um, and, um, uh, and in almost 40 years, it hasn't happened. And uh, I feel personally responsible for it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. But you're asking me what to do. And I don't know. I, I see. Well, I'm the, glad to, the, you know, I'm glad think to that hear so, bounce it yeah. off of you there that way. So thank you. It feels like there's just so many factors that go into it. Like even your story about teaching, I think it was your cousin, uh, to ride a bike. Yeah. The, the idea there is, he needed someone outside of his family right. to give him the space and the process to do it. And I was just thinking when you were telling that story, I was like, well, his dad, maybe his dad yelled at him about not riding his bike fast. He's like, I'll, I'm not going, you know, he, he yeah. felt that, that emotion of it. And so son, I, I know there are certain things with my kids that I yell at them for because I think my dad or mom yelled at me for it. And I want, I don't want them to feel like I just said, just learn it quickly or it, and it's easier just to, keep everything in the center, you know what I mean? Not on the edge of the bell curve. If, you know, if you can keep everybody filling in there, once you start giving people some space to go, wait, I learned this way. I do this. Yep. I, I would like, then you do have to accommodate for them. And everybody's like, ah, I'm busy. It's hard. I don't want to do that. But the truth is if we could get there, then it would be more fulfilling and things would move more quickly. But it's just, it, it's weird that like you were saying earlier, as you get older, you become more aware and uh, can see the situation more clearly than maybe a younger person. But it's still hard with all the factors that have gone into your life. All the factors of my life, I know how I want to like my kids to learn or t or teach them. But in the moment, sometimes I just want to get it done. Well, just get the project done. We'll help you. You know, uh, you know, like my son right now is making a model uh, for his class. He's in third grade about the gold rush. And he says, 
you know what I want? I want a big cave. And my wife is like, no, we're going to do this, this, and this. And he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you yeah. know, and part of me is like, well, but we also we had to get the project done because yeah, the project, yeah. getting the project done is the goal of the teacher right. more than even really remembering and learning the, about the gold rush. You know yeah, what I mean? The so, teacher. So tell taught. me what he wanted to do, because uh, if I had been a third grade teacher, I probably would have wanted him to do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, he 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 thought, man, I want a big cave. Like he didn't even care about the, the like panhandling the right. river and everything. He was thinking you go because he thinks a cave is cool. You want to go in the cave and then you can you know pickaxe out some gold yeah. maybe like that, yeah. which is really cool. But what he's not thinking, we're older, is like, well, how do how are you going to show people inside the cave? But he thinks, you know, yeah. so we're like, well, let's just do the river and we'll do this and it'll look really good. And it's going to look good. But the goal for now, I realized very quickly that the teacher yeah. and us, the parents, realized, oh, just get the project done yeah, and, he'll, right. and we'll move on. Don't innovate in the area of cave illumination. Right. right. Because that would take right. forever. Right. <laughs> Which is really crappy because that would be actually learning. If right. he did that, he would realize, well, he would learn about cave illumination or how do you let somebody see inside a cave? How could you make that? The thing that would actually stick with him and build a foundation. And so oh, maybe I, I think I'd, I would go one step farther in my mind. And I, I'm sorry if I'm crazy, but I do think that we would be people just like him at his exact age that actually might be responsible for innovation, not actually right. learning themselves to one day. I think that that mind in that state at that age, if harnessed properly, probably unlocks things for adults that they're not capable of unlocking. I believe that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just like Francis's story. He, he was able to show his cousin, wait, it, the bike riding, you're focusing on trying to do the bike riding thing where as it's bigger here, look at, look at, you need to ride towards the sun, your shadow, all this stuff. Like you were able to intuitively see some of that stuff that he wasn't able to see. And then he was riding his bike that day. So the, the you, you both were you were able to meet the goal that his dad wanted to, but his dad just wanted the thing to be done as opposed to yeah. how do you do it. And then that he probably you know on some level realized you know how he could transfer that into other aspects of his life as well. Can we use the remaining time to speak a little bit about getting things done? Because you know I'm dying to know about that, and that's a separate conversation on its own too. But yeah. the p- part of this has left people like Toby and I hopelessly disorganized perm basically per- i accepted as permanent you know like i just well i'll have limits you know because i can't do this or that or whatever i just accepted that at some point when other people were becoming organized and it was never gonna it was just no chance i could do it there's no chance i could do it like they did it or it just it just was so far off um that i just thought it was an impossible task i just have to be limited by it and uh I've been forced into situations where my bandwidth is totally limited. I've got kids and all this stuff until and went through a particularly difficult year last year without having to, having any ability to know how to really navigate it management. And I just happened to encounter getting things done and something about it sounded interesting, although I reject all productivity, this or that stuff when it's out there. I just reject it because I know it doesn't work for me. Uh, but something about this sounded different and I started paying attention to it and it just the nature of the language and the way it's explained is so understated that it kept pulling me in instead of promising me things. It would just say common sense stuff. And the main thing in it there is he talks about a mind like water, you know, and I started to get the sense that he's talking about extremely deep horizon things, but he's just talking about a calendar to most people. But to me, 
he was speaking to the deepest parts of who I <laughs> who I am. And now I'm not like I understand that I can do this calendar stuff and this stuff as a discipline, but it will reorganize my mind. I know that that's possible. I could see it because I could see a pathway all of a sudden and how it actually worked and the system works within itself in a logical framework or whatever. It was clear that it was developed by somebody similar to me. And so I just kind of got got in there and it's it's been a hundred percent life changing. Like I still haven't mastered it, but I haven't given up. I haven't lost a thing in my inbox in, in over a year. I may not have done it all, but I have it. And I know that there's a way to get it done, you know? And it's just there's something about that system that is uh I don't know. It seems like it's it, it's for people like me, I guess. I don't know if it is or if it has a deeper meaning, but it stays out of the self-help in a way that's it's hard for me to get the language for. I'm curious how you found it or how you would articulate what I'm trying to say there clunkily. Yeah, no, uh, David, um, and I'll, intro- I'll introduce you to him. And I would oh not be at all surprised if uh, he would do a podcast with you. He's a super open guy and I'll, I'll, and, oh, thank you. And uh, and I'll encourage him to do that. Um, David, um, um, uh, uh, actually uh, uh, did this work. He um, um, uh, he uh, has a, a deep spirituality. Uh, can uh, consider and uh, non-Western. Um, uh, you can go into it's called MSIA is the is the spiritual movement. You can look it up. Um, but um, um, David uh, got there from yeah uh, being probably uh, if you you uh, there's a Wikipedia page where it outlines he was doing bad everything for a while. So uh, <laughs> so he will identify with the bad Christian um, uh, and. Uh, uh, he, um, in his spiritual awareness, he realized he needed to clean the clutter out of his life. Um, and uh, what, you know, you know, we're given this life, what's really important with it? And what um, he recognized in his own life is his life was just, just full of clutter and full of doing stuff that had no meaning. And um, so uh, uh, mind like water is to get at a state where you don't have clutter so that you're fully present in this life. David is, and it allows me to share this, David is active associative. Um, And uh, to be fully present in this life and be fully present with the people you're engaged with and getting things done was a way of clearing the clutter, making space to be present at every moment. Mm-hmm. And um, and he, it's amazing. What you do is um, what clutters us is you make a commitment and then aren't keeping it. And... Uh, that creates self-conflict. It, an know, open loop. Yeah, an open loop. And uh, creates self-conflict and conflict with others. So um, you want to understand uh, when 
you, you know, you're on the phone with somebody that wants something from you. Okay, I'll get you that tomorrow, Friday, next afternoon. You've just made a commitment. You've made an open loop. Do you have any way of, do you know how you're going to keep that commitment? Yeah. And we just tend to keep it in our RAM. Like I'll, I'll remember to do it and you may or may not, but the keeping up with it itself is the tax. Yeah. Because then now you're taking up space, thinking about that thing you're going to do in the future. And so you're not available in the present. Correct. Or you're less available in the present. Um, So it's really uh, ultimately about simplifying your life, um, uh, making as few commitments as possible. um, And, um, and then understanding that uh, when you uh, uh, make a commitment, uh, that commitment is often a multi-step thing, uh, which David calls a project. Anything that takes more than, you know, uh, yeah, hand me that glass, that's a single action. Um, uh, make some tea, that's a project. Um, um, get groceries in the house for the week. That's another, that's a bigger project. Um, uh, earn a living to feed a family, <laughs> a bigger project. Right. <laughs> um, but all of that stuff comes down to a thing you do in every moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you do one thing in the moment, uh, one thing at a time. And part of uh, the big part of it is just being aware of that and then realizing what your mortal limits are every day. So we, you know, we want to make all of these commitments so that we can feel good about ourselves or uh, have other people think we're amazing. Um, but if we're making commitments and then not following through, it diminishes us and takes up space and in our heads and uh, takes up territory in our lives and, you know, yeah i never had a clue that you could do things that weren't emergencies i never knew that i just i just had resigned to well i'll say yes to everything and i'll solve every emergency with hustle and finesse and i do and that is great when it except for you know if i'm really looking back at it now the amount of things i didn't complete people i've let down open loops i've had and had to become numb to to deal with it is it's larger than i thought it turns out you know yeah, and it doesn't mean, uh, uh, you know, David's methodology it doesn't mean you can't be really busy. You know, mm-hmm. that's satisfying to you. Uh, right. you, know, you can run, 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 high energy all day long. You're just closing your loops as you go. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes me not take commitments that I shouldn't take. You yeah. know, as, as a personal weakness of mine is to take ones that will make other people happy if I do them. Yeah. So now I have a mechanical reason to say, I mean, I can't because, you know, so, uh, oh, this is where I have to be a strong person and say, just learn to say no to this or what, like it puts that into focus in a way that's very actionable to me. Yeah. I tell people my second favorite word is no, uh, because it keeps me, uh, I'd rather people say no to me than make a promise that, right. that, that then becomes an open loop to me. And so then I just get disappointed. So I'd rather they say no right up front, so I move on. And I try to say um, uh, uh, no to good and important things every day just to stay in practice. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's right. <laughs> you know, uh, because, yeah, I, uh, you know, I like doing stuff. So is it intentional that, that both David Allen and you avoid – 
you know, you have to stay out of the guru space very actively, I would imagine, and not be promising of self-help. Like you could make your companies and books bigger, but that territory seems so gross and, you know, shallow a lot of times, or at least a spectrum of it. Um, but yet you are trying to give people tools to help them with these things that sound very altruistic and you could turn it into a boastful, you know, you could do it a different way. I'm wondering what limits the way that you message and market and run a business to stay out of that zone. Well, I, I, part of it is uh, like David tells people uh, he's the laziest person there is. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he didn't do this to be more productive. He did this, you know, to be more present. <laughs> um, so he's not trying to be a productivity guru. Awesome. Uh, he's trying to be more present in his own life and he's sharing uh, what worked. And um, But the, and, the uh, world-class CEOs at the big companies get him for, for that reason, though. Uh, for productivity, actually, what's so interesting is um, uh, they're getting him to get more space in their lives uh -huh. um, because they're in that busy trap. And so they get, there's plenty of people they can go, you know, if they want to work 16, 18 hours a day. Uh, David, uh, they go to David if they want to uh, uh, have fewer open loops, which means doing less stuff, uh, which means some of the things were important. David has a great expression, you know, the best, often the best way to complete a project is to abandon it, you know, to let it go. Uh, and if the universe thinks it's so important, it'll find somebody else to do it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, we keep trying to do all this stuff because we think we're so important. But right. uh, but uh, if that's you the, up the part of the that's the phase I'm in right now. When I first found it, I thought I'm going to be able to do everything there is. This is going to be so awesome. And now a year later, I have a very giant, very giant and important someday maybe list that. I understand. <laughs> I understand that I won't circle back to if I go review them, I say, Oh, I thought that was so important. It's not. It's not. It's not I mean, I can delete it now, you know. When when I developed my first someday maybe list, um, I was very pleased to have that. You know, okay, I can take things off the present moment but not lose them, not have them right. be in the file. Uh, but then at some point I when I realized how much I could actually accomplish. I looked at the someday maybe list and realized I had more on there than I could accomplish in this lifetime. And <laughs> that was too. 20 years ago when I had more lifetime left. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah part of it is, uh, and I said to David, you know, I'm encountering my mortal limits with this. And his face kind of went pale and he said, no wonder this is so hard for people. <laughs> but that's it. You know, we're, you know, uh, Part of it is is just entering into your mortality. Well, that's one uh, reason people avoid it, I guess. But it's like, yeah, I can actually get a grip on my mortality by, you, right, calculating what I won't be able to accomplish in this lifetime. That sounds very – that's a good feeling in a way. I mean, it's a harder thing to, to, to do, but I can understand that as the real work to do at, at my stage of life, you know. Yeah, for yeah, me, I love – yeah. Go, go ahead. I know. There's a certain grief to letting things go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so David's book is actually um, the, his his original. The, the getting things done was the title the publisher put on it. His original title was the Way of the Peaceful Warrior. 
<laughs> that would that would have never read that in a million years. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about because that it's so well done that you don't get the spiritual stuff. I mean, you could it's not spiritual of a book. It's how to do your calendar or something. That's what yeah, but it, it came out of his martial arts arts practice, you know, where I you're see. present at every moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. I'm really glad, really, really glad to get to put a verbal conversation with somebody like you that knows this stuff and thinks about it and knows that because it's been a big impact on my life. And then your Kairos Cognition is new. Like it's just launched. I was on the list from getting things done. So I got an email from that and found it and felt like, ah, this is even beyond getting things done in some other areas. So I showed it with, shared it with Toby and them. I'm very happy to share it with the bad Christian audience because I think that for most of us who grew up with a religion, especially a, a strict one to guide us, had many good things, but it didn't let us do enough for ourselves a lot of times. And now there's a lot of people unpacking that and they got to replace it with something. And to me, I think metacognition itself is what would prevent us from just picking up new religions. <laughs> you know, right. when we, when, when, once we start, you know, deconstructing some of what, what we've thought and let us put it back to th- this allows me to put things back. If just focusing on metacognition itself allows me to f- put the things back that I want to in the order that I want to, and then add new things too. And it turns out some of this Eastern stuff or other spiritualities, they can, I can take things from them too. And we can all do it from what I would call a mechanical approach. Like I, I don't, I, I don't use the woo woo language when it's when possible not to. And the more brain science that we do and more logic and the more precise language we use, we don't have to be as woo woo, but yet we get those benefits of putting a bunch of things um, together that seem mystical because they are, you know, they're not right here. They're a little bit more abstract. So yeah. mystical fits, but I think it's mechanical, but hard to understand, less mystical. Yeah. Like when you go into that uh, deep space, uh, that sequential, but unhooked from time, mm-hmm. it feels mystical. It, feels, it does. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, but it's right there inside of the <laughs> deep part of your brain. Is where it is. Um, I I want just want to uh, 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 just put a cap on on something. You you asked me back if if schools serve people, and uh, and yes, uh, there's all of that service, and there's all of that service all over the place. You know, there's all of that service in in religion. Um, what's what's happening is. Uh, that boy I was telling you didn't need service. He needed empowering. Yes. And, 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 um, and, you know, you're, you're, uh, we, we're serving these kids. We're helping them get the things done that they're supposed to do. Um, uh, but, you know, what would happen if we empower them? Well, first of all, it's messy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you, and you start to empower them, then you know, now you're not as much in control. Service is, you know, it's good, it's nice, it's, you know, um, it's it's got nice boundaries around it, it's got rules and order. Empowering is, um, um, it's dynamic, it's dynamic, it can be explosive. It, uh, it can bite you in the butt. Contain, yeah, exactly, exactly. Who wants uh, to empower the three-year-old? What you know? With what? Yeah. How much more power could that? It'd be dangerous to give them too much. So let's not uh, let's limit their power. Yeah, know? exactly. So yeah. So how do you do that in a, a 
yeah, yeah. Especially if you're a parent, so I've I have two grown children. Uh, yeah, how do you? Uh, yeah, empowering a teenager was a scary thing. Right, right, right. Because <laughs> you want them to live through teenage. Right, exactly. Right. Um, but uh, uh, but uh, that's where the cool stuff happens. Yeah. That's what I appreciate so much about your work and what you're doing is it really does feel like you're not solely focused on the outcome, not the just getting the gold rush model done or making sure you get the good grade. Like you are literally trying to empower somebody. So you don't know the outcome when you empower somebody, there is no <laughs> blueprint for what the outcome will be. They get to decide they get their empowered. Now they have a more choice. They have, they have more uh, ownership of their life. And, and that's what I really appreciate, uh, appreciate about what you're doing. Uh, it, it really does feel that way. Like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm lost here. I don't know. And if I can gain a little bit about me, then I can make some decisions and choose as opposed to, I just got the job done. Just getting the job done really, that doesn't, there's no real growth in that. It, yeah. it gets the job done. I know sometimes maybe that's even needed, but that's what I appreciate, appreciate about it a lot. Yeah. Thank you for spending time with us today. Yeah. Um, you know, I hope to be in contact with you beyond this, you know, from, from yeah, please do. I really appreciate, uh, uh, what you, what you're, what you're up to. So want to hear more about it, listen more of your music. <laughs> Some point I'll be able to go to a concert, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. We have a concert on, uh, Wednesday, uh, today, this will come out Wednesday and we have a concert tonight. It's online and I'm going to send you the, the link I'll do that. so you yeah. can be yeah. a guest at it. We're taking our concerts, um, and doing them at a, what I think is a pretty high level in a digital format. That's kind of new because of the pandemic. So there's a lot of territory there that's just wide open now that people are open-minded to new experiences and we get to go try to make new experiences for people because of the situation we're in and it's been really rewarding. So I uh, hopefully you would uh, join it. You'll see what we're up to. Yeah. I would very much enjoy that. I appreciate it. I want to talk more about being bad Christians too, at some point. So okay. we can get into that. <laughs> Plenty of spinoff conversations to have. Thank you for being so generous with your time today. Sure. My pleasure. Have fun. Oh, Toby, I enjoyed that so much. Thank you for booking Francis. I don't have anything else, but I'm going to go get ready for the stream tonight. Yeah, I can't wait to see the week's in stream tonight. Go to emorymusic.com, get your tickets. Yep, join Emory Land, join the BC Club. We'll see you on the other side. Buy stock. Oh, yeah, and the special goes for 48 hours, so all the way through Friday night uh, you'll be able to view it. So if you're hearing this at all Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, emorymusic.com. Emory Music.